Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, actually, this is the Hagman, Hagman, and Hagman Report uh, for this segment. Folks are broadcast live each weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us tonight. Thanks for your belief and trust in us as we walk through this uh, minefield together. And it is a minefield. Um, we're simulcast on Blog Talk Radio, BTR. Thank them for, uh, I want to thank them for scaring us. And of course, we're and thank Global Star as well. That's the, the place to be. And uh, we simulcast as well on YouTube Live. I want to thank everyone again for joining us. Um, we got two different. We've got two different websites. So that's HagmanReport.com, Hagman and Hagman.com. The former for news, the uh, snippets, uh, things that we feel are important, show topic and discussion, and Hagman and Hagman.com for the show itself. And then of course, um, again. Just a reminder, I'm uh, putting together some stuff, some information for HomelandSecurityUS.com. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for your patience. And, um, you know, we're living in times that I, I don't think we've, I don't know, it's some interesting times, don't you, don't you think? And it's interesting because in one way, the, the uh, news media, the corporate, Media, you watch the Sunday shows, and it, it's almost they are deliberate. Let me just say this: they are deliberately oblivious to the times in which we live. Um, many will acknowledge that these are strange times, odd times, but they're deliberately, deliberately, uh, uh, or keeping us oblivious, keeping the masses oblivious. I want to welcome two of our great. Uh, Two two great people, uh, Joe Agman and of course uh, my son Joe Agman and of course uh, Jackie Agman, my daughter, who was uh, who was busy today deleting a whole bunch of social networking tweets, Twitters, Facebook entries, and such because what we were doing was creating pay- playlists. I made and appa- a boo boo, and apparently, yeah, you you uh, you did. That was my fault. So yeah. my apologies. It's all right. Uh, but apparently a lot of people are saying, what are you spamming? You get, did you get hacked? What's going on? So, yeah, exactly what happened. We, because we were creating, I asked you to create a playlist. Okay, yeah, it was my fault. I don't know if anybody saw it, but what I did was I tried to make a playlist on our YouTube channel and just make a playlist of just all of our full episodes. Like, not, I know we have, like, short, like, commercials and stuff, but just to make it easier for people, I tried to make a... Oh, we have segments, too. Yeah, and it was, like, 400 and some videos. I didn't even go back as far as our entire YouTube page, but every time I would add a video to the playlist, it would send a tweet, because our YouTube is linked to our Twitter, so it would say, like, you added a video to... It's also linked so, to Google+, Plus. did you know that, I think? Which I don't even know what that is. So I have to check Google+, Plus now. Probably. Sorry. It's probably got, I, I, can you delete those in wholesale? Or what? what? Can you can you delete wholesale buys? I mean, can you... Is it... Like, you do every individual one? Oh, I had to do every individual one. So 400 tweets later, and our Twitter was linked to our Facebook, so I had to go back and through Facebook and delete every single Facebook post from the Twitter, from the YouTube. So you're spamming people then? I was. 
So if you, right. next time you have to make any large playlists, you might be able to uncheck the sync with the Facebook right. or Twitter first and then yeah. uh, go back in I and hope change so. it instead of having to, to delete 400 plus, uh, Social media posts on two different platforms. That's a lot of, a lot of hassle. So, um, just to open up real quick. I just want to mention that, you know, we're aware, of course, uh, what the, the United States dropped a Moab. Uh, that's a mother of a bomb, right? Uh, 2100 pound, uh, bomb in uh, Afghanistan. I think it's 2100 pounds. Uh, that'll leave a mark. Yeah, yeah. that's an interesting, uh, leave a mark. Interesting story. And, um, they call it the largest non-nuclear bomb in the arsenal. It was dropped on a, a, an apparent Islamic State tunnel system in Afghanistan. 11, 11 kilotons or something as opposed to 21 kilotons of the Nagasaki or Hiroshima bomb. I'm not sure which. But. Yes, the first time the bomb was used in combat, and it is the uh, mother of all bombs, or Moab. It weighs 20,000 pounds and is approximately 30 feet long. Yeah, that'll leave a mark. I want to see the uh, the hole that one left. Yeah, it's a, a mile. Uh, apparently, the stats on that a mile. It'll clear a mile, one square mile. Apparently, yeah, somewhere. yeah, and uh, it'll kill people within I think uh, roughly two miles. I, I'm not even sure they know, but you know the the hypocrisy of the people who are. Uh, it's just uh, the war news. Look, there's a rush to take us to war, mm-hmm. and uh, by the by the neocons and. Uh, you know, it's it's sad because uh, uh, look, we need to we need to kill ISIS. So, Hillary Clinton, Barack Hussein Obama, and the CIA and the Mossad and the the Western intelligence agencies, including France and the UK, they created ISIS. Everyone understands that, right? Obama allowed the creation of ISIS. Yes, gone. Do you see the WikiLeaks? Um, there was a WikiLeaks email today. Um. Two, two are from Hillary Clinton. I think it was two Hillary Clinton. Um, some some um, person inside the administration while she was in the State Department talking about how Al Qaeda is our friend and how well, it was stuff we already knew about arming the, the who the rebels were in a number of these countries in the Middle East that have been destabilized and basically that Al Qaeda was aligned with the U.S. during these uh, conflicts. Yep. Well, well, it's, it's odd. It Look, and also you mentioned the intelligence agencies. Uh, remember, <clears throat> Judge Napolitano was suspended from Fox News for uh, talking about the GCHQ giving right. intelligence. Right. Well, on uh, on Drudge, there's a report today. British spies were first to spot Trump team links with Russia. GCHQ is said to have alerted U.S. agencies after becoming aware of contacts in 2015, substantiating what. What Judge Napolitano said and was suspended for on Fox. So, but but Fox is on it. Look, Fox is part of the Matrix as well, the, the global matrix. Matrix, and uh, uh, again, we okay? All right. She's laughing at me because I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I'm just caught in the crossfire. I'm trying to listen and understand, but see what happens is my wife brought. Or Jackie came out, arrived to Lady City Dogs here somewhere. But, alright. So, uh, it, it, well, look, it, that's fine. Um, Jackie Hagman is, is our, we brought her on. Uh, folks, you know that. I would just, we introduced her once before now. Uh, she, she's doing a lot of work, uh, in the office and we 
we thank her for that. A lot of work with social networking, I guess, amassing questions and such, and handling our, our presence on social networking. The reason, because I don't know what that is. Basically, I've got a Facebook page as well, I guess, public, uh, and I do, well, I shouldn't say I guess it, I, I post to it, that the, the uh, Hagman Hagman's got one, right? We, mm-hmm. So, and Twitter, we, so, but there she is, she's... Yeah, what we're going to do is, um, questions, uh, people have asked questions oh, on right. uh, so a number Q&A? of social media right. outlets, yes. and Jackie's coming on to... Uh, ask us the questions that people have sent in via social media. By the way, uh, Joe and, and Jackie and folks, I was on Alex with Alex Jones today at, uh, I was on during a show, I don't know, uh, it was, I think, one o'clock Eastern time. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. Just, just understand that, that, you know, we, death threats, it, serious, serious threats, and I'm not gonna speak out of school. Just understand, if you are, in the, if you are a member of the independent media, trust me when I tell you there are death threats, there are threats of, there are legal threats, there are legal challenges in the death threats of the families. See, this is why we, this is why I, I've got no problem bringing, uh, uh, Jackie on. Joe can take care of himself. I can guarantee you. I can take care of my family. I know Eric can take care of Jackie, but I'll tell you what, combined forces, we're gonna kick your butt. You screw with us. Where does this come from? This happens every time I come on this show. You just get angry at people like... It's like my default setting. And my this default ha- setting was to ignore everything you just said, so I don't even know <laughs> what you just said. But let's uh, let's get to the questions. All right, let's, let's go. No, I'm going trend. We just kind of like tune them out sometimes. See. Th- th- okay. All right. Questions? Is that what you want? Yeah, let's do okay. some questions. All right. This so, question- yeah, yeah, I guess that's the what what we're doing, right? All right. Well, first, here's an easy one. You can kind of explain this, Dad. Um, this is from Anthony. He says, is H&H Connections still a thing? H&H Connections was before my time. Right. No, it's not. Uh, thank you for asking, though. No, no it's not. It, it served its purpose, and it, it worked as a platform interfacing for people to get together. Uh, John Robertson was taking care of that, and uh, they did a great job, did a fantastic job, John did. And then it it kind of went sideways with a few things because you know anything good. See what happens is um, oh, I'm just not. It, no, no, uh, it's not still a thing. So is there a replacement or no? No, no? no. okay. No. But but okay, the Christian marketplace which you're in charge of, um, we kind of for business owners is in Christians. If you're a Christian business owner and you're a Christian consumer, we want to build up the Christian marketplace which we have better control over. I know that sounds weird, but it's still now that's a thing. Hagman Market, Hagman Christian Marketplace. So, uh, which is just linked off of Hagman Report. Okay, next is from a person named Rock. I believe that's their real name. If that's your real name, that's really cool. Is it true that alien Rock. presence will be disclosed to the public this summer? I don't know. Uh, you know, like uh, X Files. There's, you know, people believe there are aliens, like extraterrestrial beings that are alive on other planets. And then there's the, I don't know what you call it, the, Deception. the microbial, oh, um, possibility for, for, uh, bacteria and other such alien life. There's an article today, I believe it was on, on Drudge that talked about, uh, the possibility of one of Saturn's moons having some form of, of, uh, the microbes being alive on it. 
I think that's as close as you'll ever get to any kind of disclosure of aliens. Oh, yeah. Any real, uh, it's all, it's all, it's all fallen angels. That's what, just, just understand that. It's what Steve Quell talks about and what Pastor Langford and Paul McGuire and all, and they're all fallen angels. There are no aliens like little green men living out there. Um, they're, they're demonic entities. They're fallen angels and that's, exactly. And that's part of the deception. So, so, but when? I don't know. Okay. This one is from Chris. Are there any real MJ-12 documents, or are they all a hoax? There are MJ-12 referring to the program in 7 to 74, right? Um, Majestic 12 documents about, or 84, maybe, uh, alien disclosure. Under Truman, um, I, I, I can't speak to the authentication of the, the authenticity of the documents. I don't know. Um, doesn't matter. But with respect to MJ-12 documents, uh, doesn't matter at this point. Yeah, the uh, Majestic 12, um, there is uh, some information on the FBI, vaultfbi.gov website. But uh, when was that published? Uh, I think 1988. No, but when did the the FBI FBI vault put that up? I don't know. I don't think they have a date here. Yeah, there's a PDF document that's um, uh, 22 pages. That is on vaultfbi.gov. All right. Just a simple search for MJ12. You'll you should find it on the first page. Okay. Yeah, I, right. I, I I don't know. I, I can't speak to that. Okay. Next, <coughs> Dad. This is probably one that you can handle. Um, this is from Edward. Any idea if Wiener is going to be charged or his computer contents going to be released? Oh, he's going to be charged. The degree of which um, is still being worked out, and I can I can speak with authority on that based on my contacts inside that task force. He's going to be charged with something. Uh, now, that's all I can say with any degree of authority, and I can say that he's talking to he's he's really trying to get out of the federal charges. Um, I'm going to say no. People, well, no, 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 no. See, okay, I mean, I, I, as far as Wiener's being charged. Maybe, uh, maybe he will be. Maybe he'll get some probation. Okay, but will the contents of his what laptop be released? Oh, I say okay. no. Okay, yeah, these are these are different questions. Yeah, there's another part of the question. It's not really a question, but it says, "Didn't NYPD make copies yes. of the hard drive?" Yes, yes, absolutely, they did. And let me tell you, uh, and I kind of touched on this. Alex touched on this, and I touched on this today with Alex that. Um, I uh, okay. Just imagine the country the way it is right now, and just imagine uh, Hillary Clinton being arrested. Yeah, fifty. If there's, it sounds like a great idea, right? And I'm all for it. I, I personally, I don't care. I would say go ahead and do it. But I think that there's the, this this belief within our current administration, which Joe and uh, Jackie, you know, the, the whole thing was. Uh, with Obama, adults are in charge, move over now, right? You know, the adults are in charge. Well, no, that's not true. Right now, I think there is the adults are in charge because I think what, what is happening, at least this is what I'm hearing, is if you would take and arrest somebody like Hillary Clinton, which would be based on Wiener slash Huma Abedin, and Huma Abedin is connected to the Muslim Brotherhood. She is direct connections to the Muslim Brotherhood, and She's also married to, or formerly married to a pedo, in my view, and personally, I don't want to get sued, uh, I believe a pedophile. 
by definition. That's my personal opinion. I'm not calling him a pedophile. I believe that. Just to be clear, is everyone clear out there? You're taking dictation. It's my opinion, personal opinion, which I'm still allowed to have, that Anthony Weiner is a pedophile. Just to be clear, it's my opinion. I'm not saying he is. That's what I believe. Wasn't he kind of really... underage girls? Yeah, but but then again, uh, that allegedly he was. But but see, okay, will I mean allegedly he was? But then they put the uh, uh, they allegedly crimes uh, on Twitter. And, to the best and, of your knowledge, he, right? he was to married. Whom to, to, to Hillary yeah. Clinton's uh, aide, number one aide, whom as far as you know, right? But they're, I think they're separated now. No, they are. Yeah, but see, okay, so if you were to arrest Hillary Clinton, what do you think the, the reaction would be in this country if Hillary Clinton was was put in the orange jumpsuit and would pray before the cameras? What do you? Well, what do you think the reaction of the millennials or the younger generation or the people who supported Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders? What do you think the reaction oh, would be? Oh, I'm 100% sure there would be more riots. 100%. There would be an uproar. Timing is everything, right? I mean, I think. So, yeah, there. I believe that there are charges, and I believe those charges are being uh, transitioned into other things, but... Can we, can we move on? Yeah, go, let's go. But it's a good subject. And this is a subject we're going to be talking about at Awaken to the Shaken, in part, May 5th and 6th. Go on. Okay, Jenny asked, whatever happened to Jade Helm? Joe, you want, you want to feel this one? We had DJ Welch on. I don't know on. who that is. Jade Helm was a military exercise um, that encompassed, like, I think, 14 states and a number of military personnel from the different uh, branches of the armed services. And... Whether it was uh, the the exercise ended uh, what in the 2015, I believe 2016, but there's a lot of questions as to what was done during the exercise. Uh, exercises were there resources moved around, uh, things put in place, things were there things that were taken away that were there. You know, uh, one of the things that I wonder about is the the billion of bullets that different law enforcement and government agencies. Um, Acquired during 2014-2015, and those seem to have just disappeared. Um, many people think that it was a exercise to get resources in place, and um, that the if anything does happen, that would affect our society and the stability of our society. That Jade Helm had something to do with um, getting people prepared, the military prepared, the National Guard, and uh, the resources in place to deal with that. No, but I th- see, I think we we were getting played right from the beginning. I think I think the narrative was we'll see um, the independent media are saying, well, there's going to be martial law, there's going to be a takeover, Dallas for crying out loud is going to be invaded, or something to that effect. I mean, think of the most ridiculous thing. Looking for the obvious, but the bottom line is this, and this is my belief, is it was a success. They measured a lot of Jade Helm was was intelligence gathering. Uh, reaction assessment, and also uh, the rolling out and the implementation of uh, of computer assets and uh, uh, a lot a lot bigger. So, was did Jade Helm have consequences? Absolutely, in my view, and I believe that uh, they have learned and are still learning from that exercise. There's there's one after that in '16, and there were Jade Helm exercises prior, uh, previous to that, and there's similar exercises over in Europe. So. Think bigger. Think bigger. Don't think that the, just because you can't see the effects. Think bigger. Okay. Next is from Glenn. And he asks, without confronting the chemtrails that will kill all life on Earth, how do we move on to other issues? 
Um, read that again, Jackie. Yeah. I mean, unless it's worded wrong, but it says, without confronting the chemtrails that will kill all life on Earth, how do we move on to other issues? I, th- I think what he's asking, or correct me if I'm wrong, it, you got to confront chemtrails first, right? Well, do you believe that... It's a confusing question. Um, whether the chemtrails are... Uh, I doubt they're going to kill all life on Earth. Wait a second. We should go back to what Dane Wiginton said, and let's use the proper terminology. <clears throat> because I think chemtrails... Uh, people roll their eyes when they hear the word chemtrails. I think the uh, aerial spraying and so, uh, climate geoengineering. Engineering, yeah. So let's use the proper linguistics. Well, whether the geoengineering attempts are poisoning everybody on Earth or poisoning people or weakening their immune system, um, there's definitely they're definitely spraying heavy metals into the air for the purposes, as they say, of reflecting sunlight back into outer space. Um, but if you believe in the Bible, chemtrails are not what are going to be killing everybody. Um, and how do you move on to other issues? Well, um, if I understand, if I'm understanding the question correctly, what they're saying is like, um, it's like walking around worrying about a bong being dropped on your head at every given moment of the day. Uh, well, not to diminish the importance no, of, of no. the aerial or geoengineering, I, I should say this. We're more than one trick ponies. It does, uh, pose you know, health risks and dangers, but it's not an imminent uh, threat to our lives. So. Yeah, if they're dropping bombs instead of aerial spraying, that'd be different. But okay, so you guys say geoengineering, right? Mm-hmm. No. There's someone else asked, it seems like you only have guests on that go along with the official global warming narrative. Is that your stance, too? Official global warming? No, it's, it's no, no, no. I don't think we have anybody on who promotes the... What should, yeah, what's sure the, official, this the, the official global warming narrative is based on uh, admittedly false data, so it's it, not a, even it, a real. They could narrative. be hearing just a piece of. Uh, look, the only thing I can think of is Stan Dale when he talked about when he talks about how the solar system is warming and how uh, as a result of that. But not that's not global that warming. That's, no, it's not. So but you, I think you, that's what. That's the only thing I can think of that um, would be space warming. It's everything warming. You don't believe in global warming? <laughs> not, the, not the way it's being packaged. Not man-made global warming no, to the point of, of uh, changing the temperature year by year on the on the Earth. It's a already fluctuation. Been, what they say is, uh, causes man-made global warming is CO2 emissions, and there's more CO2 emissions from one volcanic eruption than from you know what man can do in a number of years. So. And, and the data that they've used, the government um, agencies like NOAA, um, it's all come out that scientists faked the data to make it look like there was um, much more warming going on than there was. So yeah. we don't even know because uh, there hasn't been actual real data. They lie. Everyone lies. We can't. You can't believe the scientists because did you ever go to court? Uh, my expert is. I can. I can. Hey. Well, let's bring in a, uh, I can pay an expert, just right. you can you, pay an expert. You and pay an expert. Opinions, and believe me, it's, at the end of the day, the decision, who's, who's the highest paid expert and most convincing? Mm-hmm. How many minutes have we got? Well, you want to, yeah, you want to leave or what? Three, no, I'm just, we got to speed this up right. so we can get, okay, we'll do speed round. Okay, so we have, somebody asked Robert Steele's opinion on the airstrike at Syria. So obviously Robert's not here. Robert so. David Steele, yeah, you can uh, Phi Beta, Phi Beta Iota. It's a, uh, it's it, the intelligence was falsified. It's my view based on what Robert David Steele had said, and he's a, a great mind. Um, the intelligence was falsified, and 
the air strike, the chemical attack did take place. What chemical? Not 100% sure. Who, who uh, did it? Not 100% sure. We, what Robert David still did say, wrote in Phi Beta Iota, his website was, it didn't happen the way it said it happened. We got a question uh, coming in on the email. Are we still using SoundCloud? Has not been updated for quite some time. Last time I checked, it has been updated every day. So go back and, and check, make clear, sure you got the right clear uh, cash. Yeah, yep, we do that every day. Okay. Next question is from Rob. Um, he wants to know if there's any chance of getting three guys together to discuss the Wormwood prophecy. Three guys being Stan, Steve, and Gil. Gilbert's hurt. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Possibly, maybe. We'll ask. Why not? Okay. This one is from Twitter from Candace. Um, why, when Obama acted illegally for eight years, can't Trump get things done or his cabinet picks or his immigration stay? Any solutions or any options? Uh-huh. Pitchforks and torches. <laughs> it, it, look, Obama was a globalist. Trump came in as an anti-globalist. And all, if you notice all of his anti-globalist moves, with the exception of the neo- neocon warmongering, and let's bomb the hell out of everybody and, and let, you know. Yeah, it's not that he's so, not getting things done, it's that he's being denied, uh, just about at every turn, not, from the media, from the federal judges who've blocked his immigration's executive orders to, um, you know, his cabinet positions that people are not confirming, uh, so he's being obstructed in a number of different ways where Obama was given the red carpet to be allowed to do whatever he wanted. That's right. All right. And the last one, I save this for last because it's my favorite one, and I'm excited to answer it. It's from Cindy. She says, we all know we could be raptured at home at any time. Do you believe our beloved pets will get to go with us, or should we be making arrangements with our unbelieving friends to come to their rescue once we are gone? Dad, are you taking Lady with you? I'll say this: I don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, so I wouldn't worry about your pets. Wherever wherever I am, Lady will be. I know I will be taking my cat with me for sure. Scoop him up, go up. <laughs> well, you know, and, and yeah, it gets in the whole rapture deal. Or you can send your checks or money order for me to take care of your pets after the rapture too. Listen, all I know is that oh, if one of your friends, funny. first of all, if you have. You should always be witnessing to your friends to believe, you know, what we believe, right? Right. Okay. But if they don't and the rapture happens, pretty sure they're not going to worry about your hamster. That's the last thing they're going to worry about. Jackie, thanks for coming on. We've reached the end of our segment. You want to sit here? I can't. You have people on after this. Yeah, I know. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, readers of end times fiction will be hard pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast paced. Blue Wink Reviews boldly states, fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Minuteman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Minuteman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. and so on to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. I want to say hello, a very special hello to Coach Dave Dobmar, CoachDaveLive.com. CoachDaveLive.com. Coach, you're the, you're the man. Uh, he's, the, he's the guy on the ground that's fighting the battles that we face every day. And um, to, uh, visit CoachDaveLive.com and, and tune, in to, tune into his uh, uh, tune into the show. 7 a.m. 7 a.m. Yeah. 7 a.m. every morning. Uh, and Coach Dave on YouTube also. Yeah. Yeah, and his, uh, read what he writes as well. Um, his stuff is 100% right on the money. Now we, we have with us, if you're talking about, for example, if you're talking about preparedness, you got a lot of different choices. And here's, here's my view on this. I, I don't, okay, my personal belief is I don't believe that Christians, with, with respect to the last question, it doesn't matter. No, people don't believe really. I mean, people don't care what I believe, but personally, I, I don't believe that, I, I believe we're going to have to suffer some tribulation. The tribulation. Okay, I don't believe we're appointed God's wrath, but but aside from that, who cares what I believe? It doesn't matter because I'm not a preacher, I'm not a pastor, I'm not preaching that. So don't listen to me. It's just what I believe. But even if you don't believe in that, or even if you believe that you're going to, here's the thing: it is selfish of any one of us in my in my estimation to not be prepared, because if you've got 
uh, fire insurance, you've got homeowner's insurance, you've got car insurance. If you've got some firewood in your garage for your fireplace, if you've got an extra uh, two gallon, five gallons of gas in your garage, then you've got the you got what it takes up here for preparedness, mental being prepared. The, it, it's only sensible to be prepared. So here's here's what happened. Talk to Dave Hodges. Talk to others. Who's the who's the the best for preparedness? Who's the best for items uh, preparedness items? There's one answer. Robert Griswold. He's with us now. He's going to tell, talk, to, talk to us about a number of things. ReadyMadeResources.com is his website. Uh, and I just want to say, number one, publicly, I want to thank him for all that he's done with to, with helping others get prepared. Number two, thanks for joining our, our uh, family as well and supporting us. Joe, I'm going to kick it to you. Yeah, with us is uh, Robert Griswold from ReadyMadeResources.com. That's ReadyMadeResources.com. He is a, a, a sponsor of ours, and we're going to be getting into... Um, a few things on, on preparedness tonight. Uh, Robert, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. I've listened to you frequently, and I enjoy all of your guests. It's an honor to be here this, this evening to uh, join the, your list of hosts. Man, it's our honor because you're a legend in the in the industry. Um, so, look, people can listen to our my drivel anytime and Joe's discussion anytime. You're the guy that people want to hear from. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and about yep. about your company. Well, we've been in business over 20 years. Um, we try to live the lifestyle that we preach. We actually have a walk-in store in Tennessee that if people come here, the store is on our property. We have 25 acres where we actually employ uh, multiple disciplines of everything from organic gardening. My wife is a naturopathic doctor and a martial arts instructor. Um, I've had overseas security experience. Uh, we run our store on solar energy completely. I'm a ham radio operator. I'm also, uh, I have run a few other small businesses. I enjoy doing ceramics on the side, which I do 18th century reproduction ceramics. And um, like I said, I have a passion for uh, getting people ready for what I think we all know is coming. History tells us the lessons we are going to face. And you mentioned something I want to address. I think it is becoming less and less um, believable to think somehow we get an escape card out of the tribulation that is coming. We see our brothers and sisters in the Middle East being raped and murdered, um, and how do we expect that they didn't escape? They had to go through the ultimate test of these Egyptian Christians who just paid with their life for their faith. Uh, we think we're somehow going to escape this or not. And, and with that said, I believe that God always warns people ahead of time to get ready. Now, preparation might be part of it. Spiritual, spiritually is definitely part of it to get ready for the evil that is coming because it's only through the faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be able to stand against the oppression and the darkness that we see coming on our country and world. And so there's, uh, preparation is multifaceted. One, get your heart right with God. Uh, walk with the Lord. Hear His voice daily. Stay in the Word. And uh, that way we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And they're also the wiles of man. Uh, mankind has a history of perpetrating absolute carnage on each other, uh, especially in times where distress or, or uh, shortages are, you know, abound. Uh, we victimize each other. We have wars and conflicts. And I, I believe that God has putting putting on the hearts of many people today to get ready, and many other people to warn, as He warned, He used Noah and Joseph. 
to warn his people to get ready for some severe consequences. There's a book I quote from frequently. It's called The Savage Continent by Keith Lowe, and it talks about the post-war history of Italy and Germany. Uh, you can go online and read it, and it is a very difficult read because you have two nations, Italy and Germany, that produce the finest of the Renaissance, the greatest thinkers, the greatest philosophers, the greatest scientists, the greatest mathematicians, the greatest people who wrote um, you know, fantastic works of, of literature. And yet, because they adhered to the doctrine of demons, within a very, very short time, they devolved into absolute depravity. And I think our nation's heading in that direction. Yeah, I I did too. I I did too. Um, Wow. Wow. Okay. But but to bring this back to, or to to, to bring it to our our subject here, uh, what I've been hearing all across the board from everybody uh, that I've talked to, Mr. Griswold, is, since Trump, President Trump was elected, people have decided to kind of, hey, well, I don't need to prepare or things are going to get better. And there was this lull in preparedness. And people have kind of turned their backs on the preparedness industry as a whole. Are you seeing that? And uh, to me, that that's a horrible mistake to make. Um, it just is, is a horrible mistake. For example, if uh, gold and silver are down in price, that to me, that's the I would recommend maybe if I had the disposable income, I'd buy gold and silver. But so, what have you? What are you seeing in the industry? You know, you, you look at two figures of the Bible, Noah and Joseph. Do you think that every day it appeared that there was going to be a famine in the land of Egypt in seven years? Do you think people were tempted to maybe say, "Well, look, we have seven years of abundance. Things are going well. There's prosperity. We don't need to do anything. Let's stop the storage program. Let's stop putting the wheat away." What would have happened if Joseph had done that because of what appeared to be reality? But we all know what God said. Same thing with Noah. Do you think every day that Noah was building the ark was a day where these depraved individuals were coming up and persecuting him and giving him a hard time and threatening to burn the ark down or whatever they did? No. There were days where it appeared that there was a bigger threat than other days. But Noah was steadfast in his preparation because he knew what God had said. We know from the scripture it is immutable. We know from the scripture that God will bring judgment on a land that does what we do. We sanctify that which is unsanctifiable. We promote that which is perverse. We've murdered 70 million children. That blood is unrequited before the Almighty. And a spiritual man, a spiritual woman is going to know how God reacts. And the scripture says the children of Israel saw the works of God, but Moses knew his ways. See, there's a big difference between those two. Moses knew why God was doing it. He knew what God would do because he knew God. The children of Israel just saw what God did. Huge difference. I want to be a man who knows why God is doing what he's doing and what he'll do based upon his word. Wow, well stated. Okay. And that should be, really, I believe, that should be our mentality collectively and individually. If we are to be uh, good stewards for ourselves and our families, I think what we need to do is we need to be prepared for anything and everything as best as possible. Of course, the spiritual preparation comes first, then, of course, the practical preparation. Uh, so, Robert, go ahead. And, and you know, ahead. folks, we're talking with uh, Robert Griswold of Ready-Made Resources. They are uh, a new sponsor of ours, and not only do they offer um, long-term storable food, uh, and other resources on, on, uh, prepping and, and, uh, survival. Um, but they, they have other, uh, necessities and things that they Night offer fish. that Night fish. people don't seem to focus on when focusing on, on preparations. You know, we hear, uh, you know, water, food, precious metals, but there's a few things that Robert's going to talk about tonight, um, in the, 
that are necessities for preparedness, uh, such as night vision and communication capabilities. Robert, do you want to uh, get into um, the the night vision? And I think this is really cool. Uh, the the optics and night uh, vision gear and why this is so important if things go sideways. Yeah, you know, before you answer that, he, uh, Mr. Griswold said one thing, and I agree with this. If you don't have night vision and you're, especially if you've got a preparedness group, you're going to fail. You're you're going to you're going to have a problem. So with that, go ahead, sir. Well, night vision affords us the ability to turn from a person who can operate 12 hours during the day to a person who can operate 24 hours a day. Modern night vision is an incredible device. It is an incredible force multiplier. If you listen to the testimony of the soldiers from Benghazi, the secret soldiers in Benghazi, they'll tell you that six men took on 500 insurgents based upon one fact, that they had night vision. They say it saved their life. Bad people will do bad things at night. If you cannot see what is going on at night around you, you are in a grave risk, especially in a situation where supplies may be limited or you have a breakdown of the rule of law. With modern night vision, I can see hundreds of yards away. With modern night vision, I can take a car, black out the lights, and drive a car down the road. So if I needed to, and I'm going to give the caveat here, don't do this on an average night. This is only if things break down badly. Don't be driving down the street with the lights off and have police catch you with a night vision device on your head. They're going to probably lock you up and probably so deserve. But you can um, drive a vehicle at night so that somebody can't see the car moving. They can hear it, but they can't necessarily see it. You can also hike at night. So that means you can bug out or bug in at night. You can hunt at night. I have a modern night vision here in front of me. I don't know if you can see it or not. But this device right here will allow me to hunt at night, hike at night, do search and rescue at night, drive a car at night, and obviously protect my family at night. I can obviously see very clearly anything near my property if somebody's on it. And that gives me an ability that most people will not have. And I will tell you that without it, uh, you will lose. Just look at what happens when people do home invasions. And I'm going to be delicate here. But when a person breaks into somebody else's house for the purpose of a home invasion, there's usually violence employed. Uh, violence against members of the opposite sex, violence against the homeowners, theft of goods. And in a situation where the rule of law or civility has broken down, that is going to be on steroids. You do not want that to happen to your family. Night vision gives you the capability to see in your area of operation and to to protect and defend your family. I mean, that's what we have, folks. That is the most precious thing I own, and my wife and my children and my grandchildren. They mean everything to me, and I want to have the ability to defend them against those who would bring harm to them. And, again, we see this violence in America escalating, political violence escalating, religious violence escalating, racial violence escalating. Um, it's all part of the fact that we see God abandoning our nation to this uh, depravity, and with that in mind, I want to protect them. I, I don't want to see my wife victimized. I don't want to see all the storage that I have done over the years of food or water or whatever uh, taken away from me and feed people who don't deserve it. Uh, so night vision gives me that capability. If you've never looked through modern night vision, it is an incredible force multiplier. People who come by our store, we allow them to come by at night, will actually break out a pair of night vision and let them look through it. And I can tell you unequivocally, the first time they've ever looked through it, they're all, almost their universal response is, oh, my gosh, I never knew it was this clear, this good. When uh, when I was doing some research for uh, surveillance for law enforcement, 
it was my understanding, and this has been a, a decade plus, there were different grades of night vision and different types of night vision. Um, is that still operative, or is, is is there one universal kind of night vision? Well, the most the, the most frequent uh, piece of equipment people will buy is uh, military-grade night vision uh, by the nomenclature PVS. That's Papa Victor Sierra 14. And, yes, uh, it's a good question because there are many different grades of tubes that night vision you, you can acquire. Uh, the tube that we purchase from our supplier is the HP Plus 2. That's the high-performance Plus 2. That's the best you can get. Um, when it comes to night vision, if you're going to spend the money on it, buy good night vision. And that's something I want to address. There's a lot of units out there that you'll see for $500 or $800 that are really not worth buying. If you buy that on a piece of rope, you can use it for a boat anchor. Um, it is really very poorly done. On top of it, cheap night vision has an active infrared source of light that makes it work. That means anybody with real night vision is going to look at you and you're going to light up like a Christmas tree at night and and probably where you light up a Christmas tree, most of the night vision the infrared light would be right here on your forehead probably not something I want to illuminate somebody maybe with a, a weapon in their hands because it would it would really profile me. Red, red or green dots already supplied you, you need to use it on your, on your 9 or 45, right? Uh, Robert, what's the what's the difference between night vision and thermal imaging, or is it um, one and the same? No, it's it's a completely two different technologies. Night vision operates on infrared uh, light. Uh, it operates on spare you know photons floating around. If you look at the military, the military spends most of their budget on night vision. It is the piece of equipment. If you're going to buy a special optic, special optics mean thermal or night vision, your first unit you want to acquire is your night vision as a special optic. Just look at the military, what they spend most of their money on for the, for the individual soldier. It is night vision. Night vision gives me the ability for facial recognition. Night vision, again, gives me the ability to drive a car, uh, bug out, bug in. It gives me the ability to, to hunt. Uh, thermal imaging works on heat. Um, unless you're going to buy a very, very, and I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars, very expensive unit, you cannot weapons mount and head mount a piece of thermal uh, thermal uh, imaging equipment. So it, it, it becomes very, very expensive to do thermal on a level that night vision gives you much cheaper. So they are two different technologies. If you have the money for both, great. Uh, but if it's your first, uh, you know, foray into special optics, buy the night vision. Buy, again, the PVS-14. If you go around, look around much, um, you're going to see that is the piece of equipment that most people buy. That's what the military uh, purchases. Again, if you watch the movie 13 Hours, um, there are several quotes in there. Um, when they say, we have night vision, they don't. Um, you know, And there's another quote in there, don't they know we have night vision? Because of the force multiplier, it, it gave those men there. It saved their life. Uh, again, put yourself in a situation where we've seen violence break out, and you know we, we don't want to engage violence. If we can avoid it, we want to avoid it. And night vision will give you the ability to avoid violence in a lot of cases. Should it come down to it's your life or somebody else's life, it gives you the ability to deal with lethal force with night vision. Uh, so uh, I hope I answered your question with that. But mm -hmm. if you're going to be your first four into special optics, by by night uh, night vision, not thermal. Where does night vision come in? If we if uh, the the people who are concerned about about being prepared. Maybe, and not everyone, and for the majority of people, of course, you know, it's paycheck to paycheck half the time, and, but, but regardless of that, um, 
if 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 I want to make sure my myself and my family are prepared in the order of things, where would night vision be? It would be food, water, shelter, obviously. But go on. Um, night vision would be. I would say there are parallel tracks: food and water and night vision. Because again, with night vision, with just a pair of night vision, an operator will take your food and water from you. Doesn't even need a weapon. He can acquire your weapons if he knows what he's doing with night vision. So I would say they're on dual tracks, side by side, parallel importance, uh, food, water, shelter, and night vision. Um, it, it, it literally gives you the ability to see people approaching you and, and to make a, 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 a logical response to that threat. Again, I'm not going to do this during normal times, but if I needed to go out in the woods and hunt with night vision, I could bring home game. I've, I've done a lot of night hikes where my son and I have gone out with night vision, and the animals come out at night. And so, again, generally against the law to hunt at night, so don't do it. But if in a situation where we needed to put food on the table, I could go out and easily, easily bring home food. So I hope that answers your question. Um, night vision provides so many benefits that the person without it will not have. And when again, when I start adding night vision and I put good communication on top of it, I put tactics on top of it, you are starting to face some insurmountable force multipliers that the person without it is not going to have a chance with the person who's trained and knows how to use it. I generally do not recommend going into debt. I try to avoid debt. I try to recommend people to avoid debt. But at the end of the day, I would say if you don't have night vision, and I do, you're, I know you, I know you're going to lose. I don't know if they. I spent a lot of time doing certain types of contracting overseas, and I can tell you, you will lose. You will absolutely unequivocally lose with a person who knows what to do with night vision. Cool. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's a question. Do we really go ahead? Do we really believe that we are headed towards these times in America? Do we believe that there is civil? I believe we're actually at a civil war moment, a preamble to a civil war in America. And we start hearing this from more and more people. I heard one person say it's it's an 1860 and 1913 moment at the same time. We are facing civil war and a global war. And if that happens in goods and services, if we, if what we come, have come to expect it breaks down, there are going to be a lot of desperate people out there. Keep in mind, one in every five Americans has a mind-altering drug in them. You know, uh, one in every five Americans has no ability to provide for themselves with their hands. We, you know, you just think of the people that are dependent on other people's paychecks to keep them, you know, living via welfare. Uh, we have the perfect storm set up in America. And knowing that and having been overseas and seeing what happens when people get desperate, um, it's not a pretty thing. Uh, Doug and Joe, there, I can tell you there are things I saw that I wish I could unsee, but you can't. And um, desperate people, I mean, they'll sell you their children. I mean, they will literally, I've had it hat offers, they'll sell you their children to feed themselves or feed the rest of their family. Wow. And it's it, as a Christian man, that's heartbreaking. But we have to come to realize we're not any better than those people. At the primal level, I suppose not. Uh, you're you're going to do anything to to for your family, and sometimes, well, even at the expense of your family. That's not to say that's right, but I I can see where I can see where you're coming from. We have about five minutes yeah. left of the the, the segment, Robert. Um, do do you want to get into the communications aspect and? Uh, how important the the communications are. Uh, yeah, comms are important. Yes. 
Yeah, you know, people don't realize that d- during the fires in Gatlinburg, and they were very special to us because we're not that far away from them, the phone lines burned down, the t- cell phones did not work, people used amateur radio to communicate. Um, it is the only effective means of communication left to the American people. The, the radios that you will buy at the department store, the sporting goods store, are not what I'm talking about. I recommend everyone to get their ham radio license. Uh, my call sign is Kilo Mike for India Echo Quebec, for those interested. And um, with a ham radio, uh, it gives me several advantages that the that the you know the GRMS standard radios that you'll buy at a Walmart or whatever you get. One with a ham radio, I can literally talk a hundred miles uh, via accessing a repeater. I can literally tie into my radio into a repeater and blanket everywhere. I'm in a small town called Telco Plains, but I can hit all the way from Knoxville to Chattanooga. So anybody within that area, I can talk with them. I can also listen. Uh, ham radio provides NOAA, so I can listen to weather reports. Um, some of the benefits that, that ham radio gives, I don't know if you can see this unit, but this is a ham radio that I use quite frequently. I can unscrew the antenna and put a much larger antenna on it and therefore increase my gain. Um, these, these packages that tell you that they'll transmit 36 miles, well, radio works on line of sight. The curvature of the earth, you start going over to 5 miles, at 17 miles, you've walked over the curvature of the earth, your radio's not going to work. I don't care what they say. Most of those radios that boast 30, 40 miles are going to get maybe a half a mile, a mile at best. If you don't believe make your radios and go trying, they, they won't go that far. So with ham radio, it gives me the ability to communicate with loved ones in a national emergency. Uh, after 9-11, uh, people don't under- realize that in New York, ham radio was widely used amongst people to relay who's alive and maybe who wasn't alive. So it's been a valuable service. And with ham radio, if you, even if you just listen, you're going to hear a higher degree of intelligence going forth because of the nature of what it is. So um, I, I recommend everyone uh, get it. I'm glad to talk with anybody after the program uh, about the needs and how to prepare for, uh, how to purchase night vision, what units to buy, uh, what about, what, you know, amateur radios to acquire. But uh, again, with amateur radio, it gives me the ability to talk. And if I mix night vision and communication, that, that again, you're starting to have force multipliers compounding each other that if I have these and someone doesn't, it's going to give me such an advantage that the person without them is not going to fare well. Um, and you can ask any special operator who's ever used night vision or communication, which most of them have. Uh, they're going to tell you that. And so um, it, it is a base that most people ignore. They ignore uh, amateur radio because they're afraid of the technological curve that requires you to take a test, a government test, to get your ham radio license. Well, my 11-year-old, who didn't know anything about ham radio, studied and passed the test. So 11 years old, he became the youngest ham radio operator in our county. And with night vision, it's a financial setback. But, uh, again, both of them are in a uh, situation where the rule of law has broken down. Uh, broken down. Uh, they are absolutely critical pieces of equipment to have, and with those pieces of equipment, you will protect what you own and what you've saved and what you've stored. Okay. And, again, uh, Mr. Griswold, if you don't mind, please give out your contact information for people to, if they have questions, um, email or phone, whatever. Yes. Um, I'm, I, I do give free consultation to people that are interested. They can call me after the show at 800-627-3809. If you get the answering machine, that means I'm on the line talking to somebody else, leave your phone number and I will call you back. Um, that's, again, 800-627-3809. Um, they can go on our website, readymaderesources.com, and they type in the word Anytone. The radio packages that I've spoken about will come up. 
And if they type in PVS, that's Papa Victor Sierra-14, the night vision will come up. And if people have questions on it, I'm glad to field those questions and give them the answers that will uh, help them get ready for what we hope doesn't happen, what we believe, I believe, is an eventuality. I just want to say thank you. And I, I will say this. I've looked at and uh, done my homework on the night vision and in your communications packages. I can tell, I can say with certainty to people out there, night vision is something you don't want to skip on. You don't want to buy, you go to the secondhand store, uh, you know, Army, Navy and, and buy a Russian made or whatever. You want to get it from Robert Griswold ready made resources and the comms as well. I guarantee you he's got the best. And I want to thank you for, for having the quality of products that you do all around. Yes, sir. And thank you for being on. And God bless. Thank you. Absolutely. And thanks for coming on. We look forward to having you on again in the future. That was Robert Griswold, ReadyMade Resources. ReadyMadeResources.com is the website. Um, and check out the website. There's a lot there. Um, and just in the subsections on, on the top, alternative en- energy, food, books, videos, uh, cooking, outdoors, water filters, storage, foods, and much more. ReadyMadeResources.com. We will be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash... 
Trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. PreciousTimberProfits.com. Welcome to this edition of the Hagman the Hagman Reporter. We we have a, a gentleman which uh, I guarantee you you're going to learn a lot from, uh, Chris Martinson. He's the founder of Peak Prosperity. Visit well, go to HagmanReport.com and in the show notes look for the old time radio. Always do this. Look for the old time radio or look for to the John spends a lot a lot. John Robertson spends a lot of time describing the uh, the show. PeakProsperity.com is the website. Yeah. If you go to Hagman Report, it's under, as we said, the old radio. Yep. Uh, also, for tonight's show, right up, Peering Into the Darkness, uh, the guest information, um, the bio and website and all the information is uh, right in there, links to his book, uh, as well as many other um, important pieces of information. Before we bring him on, ReadyMadeResources.com, Robert Griswold talking about night vision and um, uh, communications. It's essential stuff. First time out, first time with us, look, we have a tendency to focus on one thing, and at least that's my view in preparation, and not really uh, look at the entirety uh, of the situation. Get blinders. And communications, I have, I've got to tell you, a weak point, when I say communications, I'm talking about person-to-person at, at ground level. Now, we have satellite phones, that's something different. But I'm talking about uh, team communications. So and night vision. Visit readymaderesources.com, readymaderesources.com for night vision, for communications, for team communications, or the handheld radios. Don't go to uh, uh, Best Buy or whatever, or Kmart, or, or if they're still around. Go to readymaderesources.com. And I just want to say thank you and welcome to the family. On uh, Welcome to the, to, to the Hagman Hagman Report, Robert Griswold. And you can call him, too. If you, uh, if you have any questions, you can call him. Uh, the number is on the screen, 800-627-3809. That's one 800 Uh With us this hour is Chris Martinson. He's got a Ph.D. from Duke and an MBA from Cornell. Uh, he's an economic researcher and feature specializing in energy and resource depletion and is the co-founder of PeakProsperity.com. Uh, Chris, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be on. Well, it's great to have you, and you got a, a, a fantastic background. Um, PhD from Duke and an MBA from Cornell. That's uh, you've been very busy. <laughs> I, I got the, I got those two. No, I don't. I, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so you're not someone. I mean, this is not just. This is based in in knowledge. So, okay. Uh, Chris, if we, if you don't mind me calling you that, or would you like? Doctor, Chris is fine. Okay, Chris is just great. 
All right. What's going on out there? And this is such a there's so well there's so much going on with respect to the news, the headlines. I mean, whether it's Syria, North Korea, whether it's Russia, the economy, domestic problems, the economy. It all comes down to money. All wars are bankers' wars. Everything, uh, the the economy. Did I say the economy? <laughs> you get the idea. Where do you want to start? Well, you know, what all my background tells you is that I'm a curious guy. I like data. Um, I will not stop until I've dug through everything that's available. I, let me start here. Almost everything that's being presented to us in the news, in the media, uh, is wrong. It's either flat-out lies, it's very misleading, it lacks appropriate context. Most of it is really designed to help people just feel better for the moment. And let me, so one of the things I get to do, I have this crazy message which takes the economy, energy, environment, puts them all in one spot. There's big stories to be told in each one of those three E's. Listen, I I get the great honor to be able to take that story to pretty diverse audiences in one I've probably spoken in the audience I've, audiences I've spoken to this year, there's probably been about a trillion dollars under management, right? These are very big family offices, foundations, private equity firms, uh, hedge funds, and pension funds, right? So these are pretty well-connected people, and i got to tell you that, that what they're consuming and what they understand to be happening and how worried they are is in no way mirrored by what you're going to read in the Wall Street Journal or in the New York Times. That stuff is retail-level information ready to keep you in a certain mindset. It's kind of like, you know, I work with people, uh, I have the opportunity as well, who have a lot of, since you mentioned the night vision, a lot of people with deep special forces background, just ask any one of them at any time, like, did anything you were ever involved with ever, like, make it accurately into the newspapers back home? They're like, oh, no, no. Things are always different than, than they're sold. So people are being sold a bill of goods. It kind of annoys me a little bit um, how cheap it is if this is happening with respect to the Syria situation right now with Russia, generally Putin specifically, with respect to the stock market, all of this. you know. And, and here's a simple statistic that I think sort of drives this home, right? You get Janet Yellen. She comes out and wrings her little grandmotherly hands and says, oh, we're so concerned about this wealth gap that's arising. And I'm like, Janet, shut up, stop. You created it. You made it. Own it. You know, wear it proudly. Don't come out and tell us you're confused by it, right? And here's the statistic that goes with that. In 2015, Oxfam runs a report and finds out that 62 people have as much wealth as 3.5 billion people. This is a crazy asymmetry. Well, they reran the study in 2016, and that number went down to eight. Now, eight people have as much wealth as 3.5 billion. Did they suddenly become super productive individuals? No. The central banks printed money. They dumped it into the markets, and it went to a very small group of people. Janet, stop wringing your hands. Congratulate yourself. Nice pat on the back. This was your work. But it's not good work, and it's people need to understand something, which is the Federal Reserve, for instance, is not on their side and is an institution that does not create wealth, but they redistribute it. Like if you love communism, you love the Federal Reserve because it's taking from the many and giving to the few without anybody voting on it and without anybody having any voice in it. That's really what the Federal Reserve is. It's not a hard story to understand, but it's never told in our media. So when I bash the media, it's both sins of omission and commission. You're like, what didn't they tell you and what did they tell you wrong? And, boy, you could make a full-time career out of that. But I don't. As long as soon as people have enough information to go, this whole thing's a little off off kilter. What do I need to do? That's the conversation I'm more interested in having. 
Wow. Okay. Well, well said too. And and you know everything we're being told, at least ninety percent anyway, in my view, uh, with with respect to the media, is a lie. And and I believe it's a it's a deliberate lie. The lies mm-hmm. are contemptible, by the way, and and they're um, they're keeping information from us. Um, our our guest is Chris Martinson, Doctor Chris Martinson. Martinson. He's got a PhD and MBA, uh, economic uh, researcher, futurist, but uh, futurist as well. Uh, specializing in energy and resource depletion. His website, peakprosperity.com. He's the founder of Peak Prosperity. Peak Prosperity. I gotta, uh, I gotta take a lesson in, uh, talking. But, uh, okay. So, we're, uh, I love it. Janet Yellen, you own it. Own it. Own, own it. That's right. But it's not just her. I mean, it's, it's a whole litany of people besides her and previous to her. So. Um, everything changed with with uh, take, going off the Bretton Woods back in '71, I suspect, and um, of course since that time and previous to that, since the creation of the Federal Reserve. So, uh, okay. Um, well, yeah. So if I could expand on that, because you, a very important point to be made here, you know, everybody alive who's in power um, has basically been alive when when we've been off Bretton Woods uh, since August 15th, '71. And so we think this is just how the world works. But if you look at a chart that shows income, which is gross domestic product in this case, and it's a little line that just sort of trundles up like this, and then you look at, at debt in that same chart, and it just skyrockets, right? And so we've been compounding our debt at twice the rate of our income for about 45 years now and pretending like this is totally okay, right? Dick Cheney came out and said deficits don't matter, and, and there's all this... Um, movement afoot to convince us that debt is good, right? And and they've been driving people into debt, student debt, auto debt, housing, you name it, because that system works great for the banks. Uh, they don't like people keeping money at the bank. They like people borrowing from the bank. But we've been borrowing at twice the rate of income growth. And look, it's this simple. You don't need a PhD in math, macroeconomics. By the way, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not an economist, but I play one on the internet. Um, but it's this simple. If you yourself can't have your credit card debt growing at 10% a year while your income's growing at 5% a year without running into a math problem, it means two of us can't do that without running into a math problem, which means 10 of us will have the same math problem, which means all 320 million of us in the U.S. will have that same math problem. That's what broke in 2008. That's it. Our credit cycle couldn't run anymore, and instead of facing that, which would have been painful, and guess what? Citibank bondholders would have had to lose money, and AIG shareholders would have had to lose money. Instead of facing that music, the Federal Reserve swooped in and said, we're going to buy all this up, we're going to work with Congress, we're going to come up with TARP, we're going to dump billions, if not trillions of dollars in, we're going to bail out foreign entities, whatever it takes. We just don't want a correction, because the correction is going to be bad. Well, it would have been bad, but now it's going to be worse, because all that's actually happened since 2008 is every single statistic that is a risk factor got worse. Sovereign debt is higher. Individual debt is higher. Corporate debt is off the charts. You name it. And the name of the game has been accumulating more debt, but there's a math problem, which is you can't grow your debt faster than your income forever or even very long. And so that's it's, it's as simple as that. They're trying to sustain a broken system because nobody in power wants to be the person who has to say this stuff while they're in power, so it's the proverbial can kicking. But here's why I get upset about this. First, we're, first, we're, we're absolutely 
destroying the future that the, that the next generations might have. We're leaving them an absolute bag of you know what. And that's, and that to me, that's out of integrity. That's a bad thing to do, right? And the second thing is that we're also now created a situation where if the financial markets do correct, we're falling from such a high height up. Imagine we're on an extension ladder. We could have fallen off of 10 rungs up. It would have been painful, but now we're 20 rungs up. Now it's a little dicey. Are we going to survive this or not? That's my concern. And, and so everything the Federal Reserve has done with other central banks, so this is Bank of England, European Central Bank, Bank of Japan, they've all been doing the same thing, which is, oh, if we could just pretend, and maybe this will fix itself. Well, if it was going to fix itself, it would have by now. It hasn't. The only fix to this is rapid economic growth. That isn't here. No signs of showing up. So now we have more debt than ever and even less growth to service it. And so that breaks at some point. And when it does, my prediction is absolute chaos in the financial markets. Absolutely, it's going to be really ugly. All because they didn't understand simple math at the Federal Reserve. It's a tragedy. It's a crime. It's unfortunate. It's negligent. However you want to characterize it, uh, it's really, I think, uh, uh, unfortunate that we are in this situation at all. Do you think that... Um it's more than negligence that this is by design, and I say that to uh, looking in, in the future and in in a number of trends to a move towards, uh, you know, a cashless society, to also the uh, ushering in of a new uh, type of financial system, whether that's a, a global, an international or global system that is moved away from the U.S. dollar. Do you believe that um, if we do have some sort of uh, correction or, you know, implosion of the economy that they would try to use that as an opportunity to move towards a different type of system? Oh, absolutely. Listen, you know, I, I part of my career was working in uh, strategic management in big companies. And when I ended my, my corporate career to start a blog, so, hey, don't ever ask me for career advice, right? I'm that, not that guy. <laughs> I, uh, I was working strategy, you know, and, and every company has a strategy. Pepsi knows how they're going to beat Coke. Monsanto knows what they have to do about Bayer. Uh, GM knows what they have to do about Ford, right? And they're very good. These are smart people. They sit down and they think it through. I think it's a complete um, non-starter to imagine that people who work in government just fail to think ahead or, or that there aren't plans at the IMF for what they're going to do when scenario A, B, or C happens. Of course they have these plans. Whether they can implement them or not, that's another question. But there's no question in mind that they have these plans, and some of them we've seen. Yes, they have plans for how they're going to move to a cashless society if this or that happens. We, we've seen the plans. But can they pull it off? That's an open question. So maybe, but maybe not. But if not, that's where, where you know really the work of peak prosperity comes in because it's kind of like, well, we can all hope that somehow they've, they've got a plan that's going to work, but if they don't, and by the way, I don't think the chance of them actually having this work is, is almost zero. It's, it's very small. Other people have different assessments. Okay. Well, if it doesn't work, what do you do? Well, define, okay, so what is peak prosperity, I suppose I should ask at this question, or mm-hmm. at this point, this, the question at this point, peak prosperity. Well, what is what is that? Um, I mean, in other words, um, maybe I should re- revise my question. With what you well, let me let me take everything back here and restart again. With what you, what do you see? Well, define ugly, for example. When you said things were going to get ugly, chaos and such, define that. What do you see playing out? And then with peak prosperity here, what are we talking about in terms of circumventing or 
being able to duck and get out of the way of what's coming. Sure. So we got a taste of ugly back in 2008, and I think it's going to be even more bitter of a taste this time. So let's review. In 2008, uh, things were so dicey that we there was that one article in the Wall Street Journal talking about a bank CEO who was walking to an emergency 2 a.m. meeting back in August 12th, I think, walking through the marble lobby on you know on, on his New York uh, bank, going up to the super secret meeting, and this gentleman stops at the ATM and pulls cash out because he himself is unsure if anything will be operating the next day or if even he'll be able to get cash out of his bank. He doesn't know, right? And we came this close to a complete financial meltdown in 2008, a couple hours away, according to the memoirs of Mervyn King, who was then governor of Bank of England, Hank Paulson. They both said, yeah, it was this close. So what does a financial meltdown mean? Well, it means the banks stop operating. Nobody knows who owes whom what. The derivative structure is collapsed so that so that you can't really unravel it. So Bank A won't trade with Bank B. Everybody sort of locks their doors. Uh, capital can't flow across borders. I mean, it freezes. Well, once capital freezes, you only have a matter of weeks, days or weeks to really sort of unravel that because without capital flowing, without functioning financial markets, food trucks don't roll, ships don't go, nobody knows who the payment systems are wrecked. That's the kind of chaos I'm talking about. Um, and in this next round, if, if things get out of control and the financial markets break and they get ugly, I'm looking at closed markets, really giant losses, sovereign failures. So... Start with Greece and start with Venezuela, but once Greece goes, there's no way the Italian banking system survives. And if that doesn't survive, you can just kiss off basically Europe's banking system. That kind of ugly. So I understand why they're working so hard to keep everything propped up. Now, that's great. Sounds scary. What do you do about it? So peak prosperity, we have three big buckets we work in. One is called knowing. So this is the information that people need to understand what's happening. So if you understand banking and you understand energy and you understand these pieces and you get that, you can kind of see into this and go, oh, future is going to be really different than the past, maybe ugly different. Knowing has to connect to doing, though. Knowing is useless unless you're going to do something with it. I don't want just people to get nervous. I want them to do something about it. So there we have a model for thinking about how to become more resilient. And it's based around the idea that there are actually eight forms of capital that if you have them all, you're much more resilient, more prepared than somebody who only has one or, or even none of these forms of capital. Financial capital, that's the first one. But we also have an obvious one. People get that. But social capital, really actually very important, both to your current happiness, but also your future thriving. Emotional capital, also important. Your living capital, that's the, your, the health of your body and, and, and the health of the, the world around you. So, I got a really nice garden, got chickens, got orchard, got bees, stuff. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm as healthy as I know how to be. So, so I'm advancing these different forms of capital because I think there's this really uncertain future. There's a way to step through that. But here's the good part in the story. If I do all this stuff and the future doesn't break, no problems. I've been absolutely wrong about, uh, the market instability. The worst that's going to happen is I'm going to find myself as having saved a bunch of money. Um, had made some really appropriate investments that are not Wall Street based. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to have better friendships. Uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, really living in a more complete sort of a way. So the invitation in this crisis I see coming is for people to break out of their slumber and get busy with really um, uh, engaging with life again in a really important way. I, I, you know, look at what, hap- what has happened to our country, right? Come on, can we fix this opioid? 
ep- uh, epidemics, addiction rates, and deaths are now have now surpassed the deaths from uh, heroin overdose and whatnot. Surpassed gun deaths, right? Um, more people are committing suicide. I mean, there's just all these signs to say people are stressed, they're unhappy, and I think we can do something about that. Interesting. Okay. Very. So you're talking about balance in your life, but, but capital, okay, as, as you describe it. Very interesting and, and very well said, too. And, of course, there's spiritual health in there as well. We have to balance everything with, the, with, our, with our belief in God and trust in God. Um, I know we, we touched on this a little bit. Uh, before the, the, uh, we went on air, you asked, what would our audience be, be interested in, in hearing about? And one thing I know we do get a lot of emails about, especially when we get into some of the financial, um, talk is the housing market. Uh, since 08, we saw the, the housing market, uh, bubble collapse and prices have really, um, it seems like we've bounced back. Yet at the same time, we continue to hear that there are a number of indicators out there that show just like it was before the uh, 2008 collapse. Um, and people are concerned that we're going to see a repeat of what happened in 08. What's your take on, on the current situation in the housing market? Well, it's been reinflated uh, specifically as a, as a consequence of Fed policy. They're very proud of themselves for having done this. Uh, I understand their strategy. Their strategy was if people have more equity in their homes, then they'll borrow against that. Because, again, this is all about how do we encourage people to borrow more. Um, the Fed doesn't really care if your house is worth more or not. But when you peel it back, it's not hard to figure out that actually rising house prices aren't good for anybody except a really tiny majority of pe- minority of people who sell their house and then move to a, a lower-priced area and pocket those gains. Everybody else, you know what else happened? 2016, highest property taxes in all of U.S. history. Scooted up by another $16 billion to $540 billion last year. Is that a good thing? Well, Janet Yellen thinks so, and the Fed thinks so, but for people who are faced with rising property taxes due to the fact that their house is worth more, are out $16 billion they could have spent on something else additional last year. And also your insurance rates go up and all that. But look at the young people in this story again. Those first-time home buyers priced out of these markets. You no, There's no chance. The median income re- required to buy the median house in San Francisco now is somewhere around 125000 Right? Nobody's earning. No, there's, it's just, so, again, we've seen these bubbles come out. As bad as they are here in the U.S., in certain markets worse than others, obviously, Canada is way off the way over the tips of its skis. Canada is going to have really hard time coming up at some point with the average house price average in Toronto north of a million dollars. Right? Come on, that's crazy talk. <laughs> and so we've seen this again and again. It all happens because bubbles aren't these things that arise out of nowhere. They happen because of policies. So the Federal Reserve blew a big bubble that burst in 2000, they blew an even bigger one that burst in 2007 and 8, and then they've blown an even larger one again. So my view on housing uh, is that it, it's very much uh, due for a correction. Now, you, that's my, my sense, but I was just at a real estate investor conference. A lot of people there who are involved in uh, multifamily housing and commercial, uh, both of those tribes of people think that we're very late in cycle. They're busy skinnying down their portfolios, and these are people who might manage or own or be responsible for 10, 20, 30,000 units. So, so they're pretty big players. And, and of course they say, listen, um, once the cap rate, meaning the, the, the amount of return you're going to get on something, um, gets down below 5%, you really have trouble on your hands. We're down at three, three and a half percent. 
and the dumb money has started to wander into the story, meaning insurance companies are like, well, our cost of capital is 1%, so we're going to go buy a, an office building that's yielding 3.5%. Looks like a win to us, uh, but really you can't make money at, at those rates. So um, my view is real estate's gone too far. It's been pushed there aggressively by the Federal Reserve that, again, was banking everything on rapid economic growth returning. It's been missing for over 10 years. It's not here this year. Uh, it wasn't here last year or the year before, and I don't think it's coming back for other reasons uh, for a long time. So the model just doesn't just doesn't work. Interesting. We only have about uh, about two and a half minutes before or two minutes before the break. Um. Well, on the other side of the break, uh, I want to ask you, or if you can address this, uh, back I think it was 2011, sometime in there. I, I wrote an article called "We're Just Going to Kill the Dollar." And this was an article that got a lot of uh, traction. And, in fact, somebody made a YouTube video about it, and that got a lot of traction. But we're just going to kill the dollar. And this was a statement made by someone inside D.C., inside the the, the money, one of the money-making policymakers inside D.C. We're just going to kill the dollar. And I, and I remember that, and I remember people saying, oh, that's that's really, I mean, that's what it's all about. They want to kill the dollar and take it down and I want to know if, if that's kind of in your view still operative and if that's their ultimate objective is to kill the US dollar especially meaning as the world's reserve currency I suppose and, and which would just upend our country is that possible is that one of the objectives uh, you can go ahead and take us out we're talking to uh, uh, Chris Martinson from peakprosperity.com and um, visit his website by the way uh, peakprosperity.com that's uh, peakprosperity.com uh, I was just reading um, and, and uh, navigating through through the website, and um, part of there, there's a um, drop down menu on the top right. that, and one of the drop down options is discuss, and this is a, a forum that is on um, Chris's website, and um, they got a number of interesting topics from you know uh, farming to precious metals, alternative energy. I learned energy. a lot from this. And, yeah, there's a lot there. I love forums because I love how uh, it gives people the opportunity to post, you know, their own personal opinions and, and uh, experiences um, with things that they they know. You know, uh, not that this is part of our show or segment tonight, but uh, a great thing for forums is recipes, finding recipes on forums. You find some really good stuff there. But <laughs> this uh, forum is more for uh, uh, people who want to uh, talk about the ins and outs of the different um from preparedness to, to financial to current events and news, it's uh, uh, interesting. It's something I'm going to continue to look at. So Absolutely. I'm going to bookmark the site, peakprosperity.com. Peakprosperity.com. There is all the different resources uh, that you can find there from uh, taking action to um, books. And even when we come back, we're going to hear about the video that uh, Chris made and um, I got a crash course. We got to ask about killing a dollar, though, too. Yeah, and the killing of a dollar. Right. Um, we'll be right back after these short messages with Chris Martinson of peakprosperity.com. Don't go anywhere.
Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely. Eric's a, It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman the Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Train Close in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to aging major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armies kit at www.changewithwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. We are talking with Chris Martinson of PeakProsperity.com. That's PeakProsperity.com. And bookmark that website and, and uh, navigate through it and check out all the interesting resources and content that it offers. Um, Chris, during the break, we were talking about something very interesting. Uh, you mentioned the rising cost of, of health care and how the insurance companies were making you know, just a ton of money, making a killing uh, under the Obamacare. And, and if we can segue into... Um, we see that the cost of living continues to to rise, um, and you know different things like the the health health insurance, and uh, you mentioned like the rent and, and how uh, and uh, mortgage prices 
and housing prices, how they're, you know, continuing to, to rise, making property taxes and other things more expensive. The one thing we don't see rising is the value of the dollar and wages. How long can we continue to see, and as you rightly described, you know, the middle class and everybody from there down is getting crushed under the weight of, of um, this economy. How long can we continue to sustain, uh, be sustainable in a, in a country where the wages are not uh, rising as the cost of everything else continues to rise? I think it's kind of the pace of change, you know. So I'm, I've been surprised that people have been as um, calm as they've been. You know, in Europe we see more riots and things like that, um, where people, you know, understand they have power and try and express it. But in this country, is a matter of policy, the middle class on down has been tossed under the bus. And in response to that, you see an increasing police state and militarization, which is what you need if you're going to grind people. You kind of have to keep them under control. You know, I think where this kind of broke open for me was uh, after the Ferguson riots, um, you know, in, in Ferguson, Missouri, after that Michael Brown shooting, you know, the, so uh, uh, the cop shot the black kid. So there was all this unrest, and the media was like, oh, my God, you know, look at all these terrible people just rioting, and, and oh, my gosh, these black people are destroying their own communities. But then a report came out that said in a town of 20,000 people, there were 16,000 outstanding warrants for arrest for things like what was called obstructing pedestrian traffic, which meant if you stopped for too long in the sidewalk, you got a ticket, and if you couldn't pay it, you got a warrant. I was like, wow, that's kind of, wait a minute, not one banker goes to jail, not one senior banker goes to jail for committing massive felonies, right? The robo-signing scandal at Bank of America were people signing signatures in a little box that says it's a felony to forge a signature. They committed wire fraud, theft, you name it. Uh, if that was you or me, doing that on our own, or we were Wells Fargo opening up fake bank accounts and stuffing money into it and siphoning it out. That's also a form of, of fraud. Uh, we'd be in jail, right? So that that part, when I say I think the middle class on down is getting crushed, I mean, it's it's pretty across the board. Um, and wages have been a big part of that story systemically through the Federal Reserve and other policies put out by Washington. We've decided that um, we're going to live in a country with like really awesome uh, healthcare expenditures, like you know, double what anybody else pays. Uh, really good environmental rules, really nice workplace rules, because we want a clean, safe country, and we like all that. But we're also going to have free trade, which means we're now in competition with China, who has none of those rules, right, and is able to compete much more, much more aggressively on labor. So the fact that we've had like declining labor. Uh, wage uh, increases in this country is a matter of policy. You can't have free trade and extensive government rules at home and have rising wages. It just doesn't work, right? So whenever a politician comes out and says, I think Americans need to be better trained for the new workplace that's out there, I'm like, no, we don't. We just need a level playing field, right? It's been absolutely grotesquely tilted in the favor of corporations who own the politicians. So this whole thing is just very unjust, and uh, for anybody who's listening, you know, no surprise that Donald Trump won, and it should be no surprise when Marine Le Pen wins similarly in France, or it shouldn't have been a surprise that Brexit happened, or, trust me, a dozen other soon-to-happen political upheavals because people don't like things to be unfair. They're really unfair right now, and uh, and not by accident either. They're unfair because people made them that way, and, and uh, I, I think... That's not what this country was founded on. It's not what we stand for. It's not fair. It's not right. It's all that stuff. So we really need a reset in this story. All right. And if, wow, very 
very good and very interesting answer, deep answer, uh, too, as I looked, uh, as I considered your response. But before the break, I, I, I had written back in 2013 uh, an article saying that we're just going to kill the dollar. This was based on an interview that uh, economist Kyle Bass had with a senior Obama administration official, and it was my understanding based on that interview, although I don't know for certain, it was the Treasury Secretary at the time, back in 2011, who said we're just going to kill the dollar. And now, to me, and I wrote back in 2013 that that explains certainly everything we've been seeing domestically and globally. Um, it makes every other question irrelevant or otherwise um, answers, you know, all economic questions and explains every, anything uh, that we're seeing because at, at the root of everything, uh, is, is money, essentially. I mean, follow the money. Are, are they going to kill the dollar, U.S. dollar? Are we not going to be the world reserve currency? Is that what they're planning? What are they planning? I'm not, I don't know yet. Um, so first, kill the dollar, you have to ask against what, right? So would the dollar fall in value against the euro, the yen, the yuan, the Canadian dollar? Um, it would have to fall in value against the other currencies. And so every other country in this story is busy trying to make sure their currency is cheaper than everybody else's. So think of it like, like all the world's currency are skydivers, right? And they've all fallen, they're all out of the plane and the chutes aren't open and they're all trying to, to, to sink a little faster than the next guy. Um, because if your currency gets really strong, that really hurts your exporters and it creates a lot of difficulty and capital flows into your country and that creates trouble with interest rates. It creates a lot of trouble. So everybody's trying to weaken their currency at the same time. Now, the United States has had an exorbitant privilege. We've exported a lot of dollars. There's about $7 trillion of them hanging out overseas. And so my model for what might trigger the dollar to really uh, decline, because it should, um, because we've, we, you know, if, if all those dollars said, wait a minute, United States, we don't believe in your story, we want our money back, what would they do with them? Well, they'd have to buy something with those dollars, um, maybe another currency, but maybe they'd have to buy something in this country. There's just not seven trillion bucks worth of stuff on for sale. So, so there would be a rapid destruction in the perceived and even absolute value of dollars. But I don't know what would trigger that and make that fall really start. But there's so many out there. Think of it like a, like a snow cornice, right? It just needs one more snowflake. It might fall. It could fall very quickly. Um, and so, you know, here's something that I think could trigger it. If the United States gets in a military conflict with not a little tiny country, but say somebody like Russia, and it's discovered that, oh, wait, a real adversary can actually give us some trouble, that might prick the bubble of, of invisibility of, of the power of the United States military. If that happens, who knows what would happen next um, at that point. But, you know, the, the subtext to this story, the thing that's, that's really got me, had my attention for about five years now, is that um, gold still plays an important monetary role. And the West, which includes Europe and the United States, has been perfectly happy to be just be selling its gold um, from the peak of $1,900 in 2011 all the way down to just around $1,000 uh, as of last year, you know, back up around $1,250, $1,270 today, um, so, or even higher today. Uh, so watching that, though, what's been amazing is the amount of gold that we can track that's leaving the West and going East. It's almost like we don't care in the West. Like we're willing to part with the gold, but China and India, China alone last year almost bought close to 100% of world mine output, which means all the other gold that was picked up by Russia, South America, China, uh, India 
had to come out of vaults in the West. So that's coming out of London. I think it's coming out of the United States. We won't admit it yet, but there's just no way. See, this is the fun thing about gold. You can't print it out of thin air. You know, a unit is a unit. So if, if we see the import statistics from China and India, I know it came from somewhere. And so we have to guess next because the funny thing in this story is you can go online and find plans for a nuclear bomb if you want, but you can't find out how much gold uh, the countries uh, in the West uh, actually hold because they, they will not release that information. It's, that's some of the most uh, closely guarded information that currently exists in the system. Isn't that, isn't that, that's very telling, by the way. Uh, well, okay, since we're on this subject, because we, anytime we have anyone talking about the economy on, we always get the questions. Should we have, should we, should we be buying gold and silver? Should we be hanging on to the gold and silver we have? And of course, without respect to, or perhaps with respect to dollar cost averaging, uh, how you got it, whatever, um, it, or if you are intending to buy it, should people buy gold and silver precious metals today? Is it, if it was good at 30 for silver, now it's a silver, for example, it's even better today. The same with gold. Um, what's your take on the precious metals? Oh, absolutely. If you do not have any precious metals in your portfolio, I don't care what the price is or whether it's trending up or down, get some, put them in there. Um, and minimum 10% of your portfolio, but maybe higher. Um, and then you might consider um, averaging in uh, more over time because they are volatile sort of things and who can predict where they're going to go. But here's the larger story. When I said we're printing debt like crazy all across the globe, and we have, Right, I think global debt was standing at about 157 trillion in 2007. Today it's about 240 trillion. I mean, think that through. It took all of world history to 2007 to get to 157 trillion, and it just took another eight years or nine years to to basically add another 35 percent to that number. It's just astonishing. Well, what's debt? Well, debt's just a claim on future money, right? So you know, if I have a debt on my car, I have a car payment. Like I don't owe all thirty thousand dollars today, but every month I gotta, you know, shell out four hundred bucks, you know. So that debt, that car debt, is a claim on those four hundred dollar monthly payments all the way out in the future. And what's money? Well, money is a claim on real stuff. Money isn't actually wealth. Money has value because I can walk into a store and buy something or give it to you, and you can do that. So what we have to be careful about in this story is that the claims are climbing like crazy, but the real stuff that they're claiming on is not. And those, historically, they've gotten out of balance before. Happened between 1918 and 1923 in Weimar, Germany, and we have all those pictures of people carrying wheelbarrows of, of currency to try and buy a loaf of bread or stuffing the currency wads into their furnace because, heck, it was you know, cheaper than firewood uh, on a cost basis to just burn the paper. That happened because too many claims got printed against too little stuff. And so we've been here before, and so my prediction is that there will come a time when all of those claims, it's like a game of musical chairs, and all of a sudden people go, ah, and they freak out, and they all try and rush back over to real stuff. So gold and silver are on the correct side of the real stuff line. I'm advising people to not have all your money out here in the paper world and start moving it over into real estate, productive real estate, particular timberland, farmland, uh, uh, cash-flowing real rental properties, real wealth, because you want to be on this side of the line, because every time in history when we've gone through this period, the media says, oh, it was a wealth destruction. Who could have foreseen the stock market falling 80% or the dollar losing 90% of value? Oh, you know, it wasn't a wealth destruction. It's a wealth transfer. 
because the real wealth, which is the, the property, plant, equipment, gold, silver, tangible things, that changes hands big time when you go through one of these periods of wealth destruction. So that, again, the media will do a great disservice trying to convince people that nobody could have foreseen this and just happened. You know, I was a guy who was shorting the housing bubble all the way down because it was that obvious. This is that obvious. There's, you just can't print faster then real stuff is growing. One of these two things has to correct. It's never the real stuff. The claims get crunched. And so my advice to people at this particular moment, have some gold and silver, sit on as much cash as you can right now because there's a timing to all of this, and be ready with a list of things that you would love to own if you could, but at a much better price. There will come this crunch. You want to rush over with whatever cash you've got and start buying things. I've got a little nice little buy list. Ooh, I'd like to have that property if I could or whatever. And then we get to the last act in the story, which is when the central banks really freak out and just start printing, not just to the banks, though. You'll get a check for 50000 Maybe the Treasury will say you have a total tax holiday this year. I don't know how they're going to do it. But that's when they print for Main Street, and that's when we go into the last act, which is the finally the destruction of the currency systems involved. And, oh, by the way, the only thing that's different this time in the story is we're trying it globally when we only used to try it in individual countries before. That's uh, frightening frightening to think about. Um, you mentioned that uh, when you get into these kind of discussions, you don't always just like to talk about the problems. You're a co-author of a book with Adam Taggart, uh, Prosper, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. Um can we go over a few things that people can do um, to prepare themselves uh, and, and to um, not only be more prepared but not uh, fall victim, and, you know, as you just stated, you know, have cash on hand, have gold. But uh, some of the other things, you know, um, remaining healthy in, a, you know, uh, in these times. Um, you mentioned you have a garden. Um, what are some things that are in your book uh, that you can um, – help people understand, you know, some of the things that they can do to make the these uh, times and the times that are to come that are going to be much harder a little bit easier. Well, sure. So this is where my real passion uh, lies is, is because, again, all I care about is, is what do we do. Uh, my mission is to create a world worth inheriting. Um, I'd much rather leave a better one behind than, than a worse one. And so, again, we've organized that book around the idea that there are these eight different forms of capital so financial capital, just to start there, you know, our view is um, a lot of people have money in the markets. That's great. But set a piece of that, like some whole percentage that you are going to dedicate to uh, investing in these other forms of capital. Let's build them up. So here's a very specific example. Um, I took some financial capital and I put solar thermal panels on my roof. That just heats water up. Nothing sexy about it. Just a box with pipes and a little circulating pump and a, and a hot water tank. And that investment, because I did that, that is going to, I'll always have hot water no matter what happens. Um, and secondarily, this thing is going to save me a ton of money. It has about an eight-year payback. It's a 25-year lifespan system if I maintain it. So it has an internal rate of return of well over 100%. Try getting that out of Wall Street, guaranteed, by the way. Um, so so these we have examples of things like that where people can take some financial capital and and rethink investment and move it over and invest in yourself. So you can invest in your house, uh, better insulating, better uh, energy systems, things that will reduce future cash flow payments uh, that make sense. You can put it in a spreadsheet, good stuff. Or you can invest in your own health. Uh, it's It sometimes takes a little capital to, to get there. 
Um, and so do that. Or I last year I spent about $1,000 on compost, big truck rolls up, rich black substance. I, that I then make my soils richer and healthier. It builds up the living capital in my garden and yard. My family eats really healthy food. We grow about... Four, maybe five percent of the calories that my family eats. I'm not saying I'm not a subsistence farmer, but under certain circumstances, in the, if the future gets really uncertain, that could actually become a much larger percentage, or maybe even all of what my family eats. I don't know, but for now, it gives me happiness, and and it takes a dedication though to say, let go of some of that financial capital and start maneuvering it into these other forms of capital. Some you can buy, some you can't. And uh, by the way, the, the most important form of capital out of all of them is uh, emotional capital, which encompasses spiritual as well. So we know now that people who fall to pieces or can't manage their emotional state when times get hard, they get tunnel vision, they get frozen, they can't move, they can't make decisions, they feel pity uh, instead of movement. You know, these people do very poorly. And so one of the sayings I have is the next financial crisis isn't going to harm people but their response to it will. So we saw this uh, when the former USSR, it breaks up, right, in 1989. In the next eight years in Russia, 54% of all deaths in that country were due to alcohol. And I raise this because that was an economic superpower, and it collapsed, and we saw what happened. A lot of people just drank themselves right to death, and that was a really explosive period of new capital formation in Russia for people who could see it. The people who couldn't see it had the pity party, felt bad because they lost their job, mostly middle-aged men, by the way, lost their job, felt they couldn't provide, couldn't protect, felt bad and drank, instead of saying, what's the new opportunity? How do we live into it? What do we do? So in this story, I told you a lot of scary stuff. There's challenges coming. Some stuff is going to go away, uh, and I good riddance for some of it. But there's going to be an equal amount of new opportunity coming, but only for those who can get there and see it. So in the financial capital, we have a whole section on become an entrepreneur. Don't have a single income stream. Figure out where you really add value. Don't work on your weaknesses. Hire people who are your weaknesses. And and really begin to think about how you're going to create and, and uh, get to your own financial freedom, because that's possible. But working for a single job, single paycheck, in an exposed industry, you know, that might, that's, that, that's a, that's a roll of the dice in this world as far as I'm concerned. So that's kind of our, you know, a lot of advice like that just to give you a, a few pieces of that, but it's all very concrete, very direct. And if people do it again, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm, 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 I sleep well at night. I feel really good about myself. I love the, the, the mission that I've got in this world. The money follows that, not the other way around. And, um, uh, uh, I would just love, I love sharing this with people because the, the thousands of people we've managed to reach, lots of feedback saying, I was scared at first, I took these steps, I am so glad that I started to go this way because it's really about taking responsibility and control for what you can back into your life. And I think that's, that's something that people hunger for and it's been very positive so far. Yeah, I, I, boy, I believe the, the people right now, there's a lot of fear, and the fear paralyzes. What you said, folks, what he said, simple as that. There. It, it, to me, that's that's the answer. Listen listen to him. There it is. It, it, we we can take it. We need that. We need to be responsible for our own actions, and he just told you how, basically. 
Hey, we got about uh, we got about eight minutes left. Five minutes or five minutes left. Uh, the floor is yours. Take it wherever you want to take it, um, yeah, inclu- including your website and books, anything. Well, sure. So, uh, I, you know, peakprosperity.com has been my, my heart and my soul. Adam Taggart and I, we run that. It's, it's mostly free information. Uh, we do have a subscription newsletter for people who like to go a little deeper or, you know, I'm, I'm analyzing, I'm reading, you know, people ask me, what do I really do in my job? And I say, well, I read. Uh, that's what I mostly do. Uh, just to try and stay abreast of everything that's happening and synthesize it and then present it to people. So, so we have that newsletter. Um, but the but the website is really organized around trying to to get people to see things a little bit differently. Very solutions oriented. Um, it's again, it's just no good to just sit down and go, oh, this is all crazy crap, right? Nope. You know, notice that, but move to action as soon as you can. And by the way, so for those people who are feeling fear, I'll submit to you. Here's why it's happening. If you know this, but your actions are here. Anxiety and fear live in that gap between those two things, right? So if I lived on an earthquake on the San Andreas Fault and I had taken no steps to be self-reliant, I didn't even spend a hundred bucks to have a 72-hour emergency kit in a in a in a in a closet somewhere, I'd feel awful about that. Even if I wasn't being paying conscious attention to it, somewhere down there I'd have that anxiety nibbling at my brain stem, and it would make my give me a lower quality of life. So I'm like, well then fix it. There's so many things people can do to be, to minimize their anxiety, but it's not going to come from the outside. It comes from the inside. It comes from you deciding that you're going to take that responsibility and, and do something about it. And everybody can do something about it. I don't care if you're, consider yourself poor and living in an urban area. Everybody can do something and we all need to start doing this. So, um, you know, that's, uh, yes, you know, Prosper is the book, uh, Crash Course is a book. We have the free video series online. If you want to look for it, uh, the shortest one we've got, and we're working on shorter versions, but the shortest version we have is called the Accelerated Crash Course. And if you click on that, you can get a much more, uh, comprehensive picture of everything I'm talking about. Um, and, and, but again, stop watching as soon as you go. That's as much information as I need to move to action. Want to watch the whole thing? Great. That's not enough. We have a four and a half hour long crash course. You need that and more? Great. We got more stuff. How much do you need? But just, it's, it's time. It's time. You can feel it. It's, things are falling apart. They'll reform. But if you are not prepared mentally and physically and financially, you're going to find it much harder than it needs to be. And I plan to thrive through this next period. I'm not surviving. I'm thriving through this and my family is going to come out better. Uh, than before, and and you know that's my plan. I might be wrong, but I'm not confused. So, uh, well, you anyway. know, for 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 many, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And oh, absolutely. You know, um, there there will be people caught in the crossfire, and people in the direct line of fire. Uh, there will, uh, to me, I believe there, there's going to be some chaos and civil disruptions and civil unrest and such that we've already seen. But it's going to be that on steroids. But but getting out of the way of that, and then. While being out of the way, being able to not just survive, but as you said, thrive, and I think that's uh, that's important to do that because we don't have to all be all be victims. It's amazing Absolutely. the victim mentality. All right, my friend. Uh, wow, what a, share this segment with people, uh, with your families and friends. I believe this was uh, th- this is perhaps one of the most important segments that we've had with respect to pro- being proactive, and and you're you're a great uh, teacher of that. 
Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for joining thank us, you. and hopefully we can do this again in the future. Folks, our guest is Chris Martinson. His website is peakprosperity.com. That's peakprosperity.com. And, again, check out um, the book, Prosper, How to Prepare for the Future and Create a World Worth Inheriting. Also, there's a, a newsletter on peakprosperity.com. Um, enter your email address and, and um, get the newsletter. And uh, there's also a, a login and, and register uh, function on the site. So if uh, you like what you see and, and you're interested in, in wanting to learn more, uh, make sure you, you sign up on, on the website, peakprosperity.com. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look forward Thank to having you, you in the future. Thank you. It's been That's a real pleasure. All right. Wow, that was great. I mean, he, he's, folks, t- peakprosperity.com, bookmark that website, visit that website, take advantage of that. You, you just heard a fascinating uh, segment with him, I believe. And, uh, we, one of the we things, you know, we, we were born and all that. Yeah. Um, and one of the, the more important messages to take away from this is that this is something that, um, a number of people who who uh, deal in in the economic world and and uh paying attention to trends and whatnot is that there is opportunity even in um there's always times in our economy whether it's a housing collapse or yeah. an economic uh you know correction or or crash there are places where you can uh, as as chris said thrive yep. um in these times you just have to know where to look and to know what you're doing uh Folks, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these short messages. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. of thriller predicts the future. In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. third and final hour on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, we are joined now by Samuel Culper. He is the senior editor of Forward Observer. Folks, visit the, the website, uh, forwardobserver.com. And, um, we're gonna I love this guy. Yeah. I really love this guy, I'm telling you. He's a former contract uh, intelligence yeah. analyst who spent three years in Iraq and Afghanistan. He, this is um, the second time he's been on the show. And we're going to get into a number of... Um, Topical uh, current events. We had an amazing. Last time as Mr. Culper was on, we had an amazing response, and he wasn't on long enough. This guy knows a lot about stuff. One thing, um, we had one giant butt bomb. I was going to, you know, the other word for it. Um, one huge Moab go off in Afghanistan today. ISIS was it Afghanistan. Or was it? Uh, it was in Afghanistan. Uh, there, downtown it's being Montreal. reported that uh, that the or Detroit, I should say, there were tunnels, um, tunnel system yeah. that yeah. was Al Qaeda's that was destroyed. Now WikiLeaks has come out and said that these tunnels were built by the CIA to help Al Qaeda. Um, well, regardless, um, and then it's going to leave a mark. There's also reports that this is not the first time that one of these bombs have been used. That it was used in Iraq under George Bush, right? Which is uh, a report I haven't confirmed myself yet. But let's uh let's see yeah. what, what Samuel thinks. Sam Culper. Welcome. Come on on. Let's talk. All right, yeah, gentlemen, thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad to be on again. You you've got the uh you've got the experience to get the scars and the t shirt to prove what you've done and where you've been, so people can, can read your bio on either on HagmanReport.com under the show notes or uh, go to your website. Well, let's talk about uh the events. let's make the most of the time we got. We got uh, an hour with you, let's talk about Everything from Afghanistan to what's coming up, uh, which is taking place this this uh, Saturday and everything in between. So, fire at will. Oh, sure. So, uh, I'm sorry. You want me to start with events on Saturday? No, I, I, I'll tell you what. Let's talk about current events, what, what happened today uh, with Afghanistan. We'll talk about Syria as well, how 
everything is you know inter interposed, and then uh, we'll work uh, toward the domestic, shall we say, response or the domestic uh, climate that we expect to be seeing this weekend, beginning with Saturday. So let's hit, hit foreign affairs first, and then uh, work gradually work our way back home. Oh sure. So Afghanistan. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so we, we just heard that uh, the, the Moab, the mother of all bombs, the massive ordnance uh, air blast bomb, it's like a 21, 22,000-pound bomb was uh, detonated in Afghanistan. And the and, uh, last thing I saw, I'm not sure if it was – I've read Tunnel Complex. I've also heard a, a Cave Complex. But, you know, that's really pretty much what the Moab, the bomb, is is designed for. You know, if we if we fire off a thousand pound tomahawk, it's not going to collapse uh, an entire cave system or entire uh, uh, entire tunnel complex. And so, what the Moab actually does is it, it explodes the air and essentially, uh, you know, pushes out uh, the air out of this cave and, and quite literally collapses. So that's exactly what the Moab the Moab is is designed to do. Now, uh, you know, the insurgents in Afghanistan they have their um, their agricultural, uh, like, uh, oh, I just forgot the, forgot the word. Their, um, their, their underground tunnels that, that carry water. And so when these things dry out, it's, they make an excellent place for them to cache IDs or weapons or any kind of, any kind of, uh, equipment that they have. And so, um, they also, because they provide concealment and cover, uh, insurgents also take cover in there. So, I, again, I don't know if it was a cave or a tunnel complex, but either way, that's exactly what it was designed to do. And uh, my understanding is that Islamic State fighters uh, really got hammered today. Yeah, as well, uh, I've been hearing the same thing. And I've, I also have been reading, well, my goodness, uh, what about the women and children uh, who, who were essentially vaporized today? It's my understanding where this went off. There ain't no women and children there. It's these are uh, enemy base tunnels, complexes, as you said, um, ISIS of fighters that that are that take to the hills and um, you know mm-hmm. embed themselves up there. So yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, well yeah, done. exactly. Yeah, so. Uh, irrigation. They're essentially irrigation canals. Sorry. Oh, yeah. okay. But, but they're underground. Many of them are, are underground. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, women and children are going to be in villages. This, the Moab has about a, a one mile blast radius. And so I, I hopped on Google Earth today and, and looked at the district, this area where, uh, this bomb went off. If it went off in the mountains, it's, it's miles away from the nearest village. So, uh, very unlikely that there's any collateral damage like, uh, women and children who are killed. Uh, extremely unlikely. Almost, almost, uh, unless unless they're in the tunnels, but in terms of a village, uh, not happening. Okay, and this was against ISIS, the ISIS strongholds, command and control. So um, I can't imagine John McCain and Lindsey Graham being all too happy or Barack Obama. Just kidding, I suppose. But uh, ISIS, um, this we need to defeat ISIS. ISIS is the target, obviously, and ISIS is a Western creation, I believe. I think I think you're pretty much on par with that when I say Western creation through policies procedures. Well, we we certainly supported them in Syria. You know, really, ISIS is a misnomer. It's you know, there's no ISIS in Afghanistan. It's the Islamic State. You know, ISIS is uh, you know, or ISIL, the right. Iraq and El Sham, or Iraq and the Levant. 
And so uh, Afghan, Afghanistan is the Khorasan. Uh, North Africa is the Maghreb. So it's it's completely out of out of the uh, the area that we call Iraq and Al Sham or Iraq and the Levant. So really, what we're talking about is the expansion of the Islamic State, and they they've moved up into the Caucasus regions in in Russia. Um, and I think that's one trend that we're seeing uh, quite a bit as the Islamic State are are essentially retreating and losing ground in uh, Iraq and Syria. They're going to go back home. They're going to go back to Europe. They're going to go back to Africa. They're going to go back to Central Asia. They're going to go back to uh, Indonesia, um, any number of places. And so really, I think in terms of terrorism, I think we will probably not see the end of it. Uh, but yeah, we absolutely supported the, you know, those, those moderate rebels in Syria that, that we gave munitions to. We gave arms and money and training and all sorts of stuff. Uh, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely do believe that those were remnants of what we call the Islamic State of Iraq, which essentially was, was Al Qaeda at the time. And, and now they've just morphed into ISIL or ISIS. Got it. Okay, and thank you for that correction. I think it's an important distinction. When we're talking about this, we have to be accurate in our descriptions. So thank you for that. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's just keep going and let's just have a conversation of, of what's going on, man. What's on your radar? Uh, we, we see, of course, the big events of last week with Syria. Uh, everyone's talking about that. We're not getting the truth on that. In your, in your experience as, as a military uh, guy, what did we just witness last week, Syria? Uh, a huge mess. <laughs> so, you know what? This was a tactical strike with strategic implications. And so uh, in 2014, when Vladimir Putin made the decision to go into Syria, I really think he embarrassed Obama because Obama shuffled his feet. He didn't have a policy. He was not um, very deliberate about what he wanted to happen. It's almost as if he said, oh, well, we can just ignore these tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of um, of Christians and, and other innocent people just being uh, slaughtered uh, in the area. And so Russia went in ostensibly to fight the Islamic State. Of course, you know, their their mission really was twofold. Number one, make sure that, that the Assad regime doesn't fall because we're we're funding fighters to help topple that regime. And really that's a strategic imperative for him. He cannot have another uh, country uh, in the Middle East that that could come under American influence. Of course, we have not done a very good job, obviously, of keeping Iraq or Afghanistan under American influence. Uh, and so, and the second reason really was to prevent an American strike in Syria, which of course did not happen. You know, immediately the Russians came out and they intimated that, or they explicit, rather explicitly said that uh, cruise missiles didn't hit their their intended targets. Uh, over the past few days, and uh, I've, I've looked through this, and I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I, I actually do believe what the Pentagon said about the strike. Uh, as far as the sarin gas, the chemical attack, that's that's another question entirely. Uh, could could absolutely be the case that it was a false flag attack. Uh, and even, I think, you know, we look at the pictures, what we know about the nerve, the nerve agent uh, sarin um, doesn't really fit the story. So, um I think that's definitely questionable, but in terms of in terms of the strike in Syria, um, I, I don't believe any of the the reports. I call it disinformation because that's exactly what it is. It's you know it's put out by the Russians and put out by other uh, other folks who have an interest in undermining and causing doubt in the West, and that's that's definitely part of Vladimir Putin's uh, goal here is to 
make the West question itself and to point out democracy. You know, Medvedev, the, the Russian uh, uh, prime minister, came out on, and posted on Facebook, of all places, uh, a number of complaints about Trump, namely that he, he struck Syria without, the, without congressional approval, and that's kind of the hallmark of this American democracy is that we don't take military action. Without, without congressional approval. Um, and he, he also said, you know, I really wondered, he's, in so many words, he said, I really wondered how long it would take the establishment to, to make Trump break all his promises, and it took two and a half months. Uh-huh. And so, uh, you know, we know he, he campaigned against interventionism and uh, getting entangled in foreign affairs, and yet that's exactly what he's doing. Why, though? Why do you think he did this? I, I don't believe for a minute that, Given a seventy-year-old multi-billionaire, ostensibly businessman, is going to be moved by photographs alone. Um, I, you know, but why do you think he? Why do you think he uh, struck like he did when, in fact, uh, just two, three years ago, he's and in fact, in the run-up to uh, even to this presidency, he said, "No, no, we're not going to." We're not going to attack Syria, but he did. But he obviously he's drawn a line of troops. But why do you think he did this then? Is he was he being is he why? I mean, why? Well, I think I, I look at I look at President Trump and uh, I don't even want to say his name. That the other guy, um, um, you know, they both came into office with these uh, very rat. You know what the opposing side would call uh, radical beliefs and radical ideas. Trump said. Hey, let's, let's put America first. And everybody went, oh, you can't possibly put America first. And he said, let's not get involved in foreign wars. And he said, no, America's built on foreign wars. Hmm. And so I think once he got in there, he kind of realized, just like the previous guy did, that, um, you know, my worldview is probably informed by my ideology and not by reality. And I'm not saying the case that we need to be involved in all these overseas operations. You know, everyone talks about the deep state and, and there certainly is a Washington establishment that pushes for war and pushes for conflict because that's how people get very wealthy is through government spending, specifically defense spending. But I think he's gotten in there and really allowed himself to be, I wouldn't necessarily say manipulated, but I I think he's learned a lot sitting through some classified briefings and he says, you know, the world, my worldview has changed tremendously. You know, just like he he sat down with uh, President Xi of China last week and he said, look, within 10 minutes of talking to this guy, I realized that China doesn't have the level of control over North Korea that I thought they did. And he said, you know, almost a quote, he said, after listening for 10 minutes, I realized that that's just not the case. And so I think he's learned a lot of these past 70, some 75, 76 days. Should, should we give him, should we cut him some slack? At least, okay. Um, let me rephrase that because Donald Trump was elected on a platform of, of total change from the status quo. However, he's made some decisions that cause many of us to question his sincerity. What I'm hearing you say is, wait a minute now, um, you know, he's, he's getting informed and, and he's bases, basing his current actions on that new information. Mm-hmm. So, my question to you, do we cut him some slack? Great question. Uh, you know, let's look at candidate Trump and President Trump. Candidate Trump surrounded himself with men like Steve Bannon, Mike Flynn, who is a, a radical anti-jihadist general. 
um, you know, he surrounded himself by people that said, hey, let's put, let's finally put America first. Um, and now he's in and now he has a son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and he has, you know, I, I love General Mattis as much as the next, uh, military veteran, but, you know, between Mattis and McMaster and some of the other advisors he has, you know, these are military men and they see, um, I mean, they see military op- operations as, uh, an extension of, of, of the office of extension of American dis- diplomacy. And so what I really hope is the case is that they're coming out strong and kind of, um, you know, what the, the Chinese have a saying, something like, uh, kill the chicken to scare the monkey. And so I'm really kind of hoping that that's the case. Um, I look at some of the, you know, he, they got Gorsuch in. And so I think that alone is probably worth the Trump presidency and, and the, uh, the witch from Arkansas didn't win, so I'm I'm completely satisfied. Basically, no matter else, uh, no matter what happens for the next uh, three plus years. Now, should we cut up some slack? Wow, well, you, you're an easy sale. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh okay. well, I mean, you know, you, ha- you just had Chris Martinson on, and you know, several years ago, I think 2009 or 2010, you know, I, I bought the Peak Prosperity his crash course, and uh, and everything he's saying. I, I think we have an ex, uh, a little reprieve from that. Had Hillary gotten elected, I think the whole thing would have just uh, gone off the cliff. We would be in a lot worse position than we're going to be with the Trump administration. But I say that with one caveat, that the Trump administration we thought we got is may not be the Trump administration that we actually get. Interesting. And I agree I agree with that statement. Um, if we can, I want to switch gears here to talk about the uh, political climate in the country. We've seen a, you know, the never Trumps, uh, never Trumpers, the not my president, the social justice warriors. Um, and you know, we had those riots at, in Berkeley, California. We have, uh, I believe Ann Coulter, who's going to be giving a speech in Berkeley in a few days. Oh boy. What is she bringing Milo with her? <laughs> what do you expect to see, uh, now that we've seen a little bit of cool down or at least, uh, a perceived cool down from from both sides. What do you expect to see? Uh, will she be allowed to speak? Will you think there'll be riots? What, what, what can we expect here? <laughs> yeah, well, when we talk about uh, political activism, Berkeley is just about ground zero for the entire nation. So, um, you know, luckily for the past, uh, since since January, uh, I've taken a considerable amount of time and looked at, kind of done these, these case studies on what happens when Antifa and social justice warriors and other political left, uh, leftist political activists show up at a counter-protest or a counter-rally um, against uh, conservatives or, or pro-Trump uh, uh, rally-goers. And so we've actually been able to learn quite a lot. It seems to me, well, I won't say, yes, it seems to me, but without a doubt, the, the counter-protests that have been most successful in, in preventing a pro-Trump or conservative rally have been when these leftists show up at four or five, six o'clock in the morning, well before the rally is supposed to take place, and they sit on the steps of the court, and they bang their little bongos and their little five-gallon bucket drums, and uh, I think in Minneapolis, they actually brought in a marching band to completely drown out any of the speakers at the rally, and so I think without a doubt, but before we get to violence, before we get to anything um, more extreme. I think that's probably the number one tactic that we're going to see on Saturday. Saturday morning, get there early, beat them to the punch, so to speak. Uh, it's been quite effective. We're probably going to see that again. Okay, that that makes sense. It, the, the organizations, um, and I, and I, I kind of want to talk to you about this as well. 
Um, because I, I know you, you're focused on this. There's sp- anti-Trump, very, very specific anti-Trump activism. Groups like um, Indivisible, Move On, <laughs> Refuse Fascism. Then you've got the Obama-related groups, the uh, Gamaliel Foundation, the Woods Fund, the uh, Obama himself, with America, American Oversight, an organization for action. And then you've got uh, the Bill Ayers of the world. Then you've got um, the uh, pro-illegal alien invasion groups. I'm getting to a point here. Then you got the uh, the, the 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 pro perverse. I'll just leave it at that. Um, okay, so those are the groups. At the higher the, uh, higher than that, you've got organizations. For example, Media Matters. You've got uh, American Bridge, 21st Century. You've got Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, and then you've got American Oversight, which is a 501c4, it's found, fund, founded by um, Obama officials, the lawyers and such. And ShareBlue. ShareBlue is the news arm of the of this propaganda machine. The reason I brought all this up is because we've infiltrated our, certain groups, and we're getting some really interesting feedback saying that, yeah, that's the tactic that you just mentioned. Get there early, drown them out. But we're also getting feedback that they they want to organize, not just disrupt, but to destroy. Um, just to destroy. I mean, create as much pandemonium and chaos as, as possible. 60s, 68, 70 on steroids is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's going to be the flashpoint of this based on what you're, what you've been looking at or what you're seeing? Yeah, you know, reading through social media and some of the, the leftist websites, uh, you know, as an intelligence analyst, one thing we did in Iraq and Afghanistan is say, okay, in order to, to defeat an adversary, we have to understand their doctrine. We have to understand their worldview. We have to understand how they train, their end goals, uh, their command and control, their communications. Um, and so really I, I apply this kind of same concept to looking at, at the leftists. And if I can, just just briefly, I look at leftist organizations about the same way I do Islam. Okay, Islam is extremely complex. It's not one monolithic religion. But I look at, at Islam in circles, right? You have the you have Muslims who are either cultural or religious Muslims. You have the Islamists who constitute most of Islam. Those are the people who say Islam first and Islam only. But we're not going to chop your head off. We're not going to bomb you. And then you have the hardcore jihadists. And so I think in terms of the leftists, right, you know, we have, we have individuals who lean to the left. That's 100%. And then we have these left, leftists who, who say, uh, socialism or progressivism first and progressivism only. And then you have the hardcore element, the, essentially the, uh, I don't know. There's probably some witty term we can come up with. But the individuals who are willing to commit political violence. And so um, I think each of those have a flashpoint. You look at the, um, the um, what was it, CPUSA? I think yeah, it might have been yeah. the, the communist, yeah, or, well, not the Revolutionary Communist Party, but, uh, you know, the, some communists and socialists said, hey, look, we can't get into 
a violent conflict right now because we're going to lose. There's too many too many rednecks with guns, you know, and and they didn't say that exactly, but that's what they're getting at. They said, look, we need to achieve um, terminal velocity here. You know, we need to achieve a, a mass appeal to the public. We need to achieve um, massive popular support before we go get into that. We look at Mao. Mao's revolution in China, that's exactly what he did. And so I think we're still probably in that phase, um, you know, not quite towards the middle of the phase. In terms of a flashpoint, uh, you know, I think if, if Trump were to be reelected, I think that could be a potential flashpoint. In 2018, if the uh, congressional uh, elections don't go the way of, of the leftists, I think we could, I think that's probably another uh, escalatory point that we could see. Um, but I, th- I think really the leftists are still trying to build momentum. I, I don't think we're, we're quite there yet uh, in terms of a mass conflict. Uh, but I do think the terrorism, leftist terrorism, uh, is on the rise. It's certainly gaining appeal. You know, you just mentioned the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, there were, the, you know, hundreds or maybe thousands of bombings during that time, believe it or not. Um, and so I, I think we absolutely could get, it, again, get to that point. Yeah, I, that's, that's what we're getting, uh, from an intelligence standpoint. Um, and of course, their memes are, uh, Trump is not a duly elected president, obviously, uh, because he was not elected by the majority of the population. Uh, Trump is an author, authorita- authoritarian billionaire, uh, with domestic and foreign conflicts of interest, including, uh, those with Vladimir Putin in Russia. Uh, he is highly emotional, fragile. He's a, he's a manic depressive. He's got a lot of mental problems. Um, he's a white supremacist, obviously, and a threat to minorities. Uh, he's, um, well, the anti-Donald Trump opposition is growing outside of the beltway and as well as inside. But to save democracy, of course, this is their, 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 operational platform uh, mutual enemies must be got to support one another um, with money with influence and of course where that fails compromise and bribery so kind of you know in line with what you're saying in the globalist agenda what they need to do and of course what they have been doing is um, they're focused on gun control and gun confiscation yes confiscation and then of course the raising the minimum wage uh, healthcare for everybody, tuition, free college tuition for everybody. That's part of their platform as well. We just saw that in New York, which is really not true, but, um, and more and more and more. So you're right. There's a lot of stuff going on in the background with the, I don't know, would that be the old guard, I guess, or, or the, uh, the political, uh, arm of the communist slash globalist, or is that the, the non-confrontational? So we're saying just settle down, settle down. We're we're gonna, we're gonna win. Just it's gonna take a little bit more time. Where's the other side? The I think you might have mentioned Revcom and such. They're saying okay, we're gonna we're gonna go kick some butt. I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, really, what we're talking about here is a, a political insurgency, and should that fail, then potentially a physical insurgency. And an insurgency has three parts, uh, kind of three prongs to it. You know, it has. Oh man, sorry about that. Oh, no, okay, that's okay. We're up against the break. This is a good stopping point. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, pick this up on the other side. Go ahead. We're talking about Samuel Culper, forwardobserver.com. That's forwardobserver.com. Um, he'll be with us until the end of the show, uh, one segment after this. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Samuel uh, after this short break. Stay with us. 
visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's. Uh, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journey's kit at www.changewithwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Uh, Samuel Culper, readfomag.com. That's readfomag.com. That's uh, where to go. And uh, on this side of the break, we're going to be talking about, you know, everyone's concerned, and this is what uh, Mr. Culper said during the break, uh, everyone's concerned about what's going on a 1,000 miles away, 10,000, or, you know, I shouldn't say, a few thousand miles away. Um, you should be more concerned with the thousand feet away or within a mile radius of where you're at that makes more sense 
we're going to be talking about that as well, the three-part uh, insurgency and what's going to be taking place on Saturday and what is going to spring forth from that before we get back to our guest. I just want to remind people about Awaken to the Shaken Conference, May 5th and 6th. It's free. It's a free conference. We're going to be speaking there, and I'm going to be laying out in a courtroom presentation. See right here. If you're watching on YouTube Live, it's right there. Where am I? Uh, bang, right there. Right. And then Joe's right uh, right there. And then Pastor. Oops, i got to go over there. And then uh, here's Russ right here. See? Okay. So, seriously, folks, uh, register. If you think you can go, and uh, I think it's like, I don't know, a great percentage of the population is within a day's drive of Gurney, Illinois. It's just north of Chicago. So we'll, uh, register because the seats are going quickly. Register for Awaken to the Shaken Conference. Just click on the link uh, from our website. It's well, it's going to be well worth your time. Seats are limited, so it's free. And if you don't like it, we're going to give you your money back. Hmm? So there. All of it, except for what you paid for to get there and lodging, if necessary or if desired. But Awaken to the Shaken May 5th and 6th, it's going to be great. We'd love to meet you there as well before you get back to our guest, uh, Greenovative, greenovative.com. Their, uh, their products, oh, check greenovative.com, greenovative.com. Check out their products. They have the super GMAC power cell. They've got all sorts of re- rechargeable, uh, Double AA, A, triple A batteries. I mean, these are these are not batteries that you would buy in a uh, a store here or around you. These are these are. I mean, this is a top notch quality kit. And if you want to charge your cell phone, all you need is a little bit of salt, a little bit of water. That's greenovative.com. Very proud to to offer that product. Alan Riggs, great friend of the show. And I'm going to tell you, you folks, you better have alternative power. I really believe that. And even if you, even if the lights widespread stay on, uh, you, this will still come in handy regardless. 321-638-4885 is the number or greenovative.com. Let's get back to our guest. Joe, uh, go ahead. Bring him on. Yeah, Samuel Culper is our, is our guest. And, um, where do you want to start off this segment, Samuel? Well, let's pick up where we left off talking about insurgency, specifically a political insurgency, what that looks like, and then what that could actually progress into down the road. All right, well, uh, let's jump right in. Three part uh, students or three part insurgency, that's good. Good point. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we when we think of insurgency, we think of insurgents and war fighting and guerrillas, and so really that's kind of the first part. Uh, of an insurgency are the actual war fighters. Uh, in terms of the number, the, the uh, percentage of, of an insurgent organization, the number is actually quite low. Um, so what does a war fight, what does a guerrilla need to sustain himself in the field? You know, well, he needs uh, mobility and transportation, food, uh, supply and logistics, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why he has what's called the auxiliary. And the auxiliary exists to support the warfighter. You know, we look at a, a tooth-to-tail ratio. And so for the U.S. Army in Iraq or Afghanistan, traditionally, that's been 7 to 10 to 1. So 7 to 10 support soldiers. So, you know, finance, intelligence, uh, operations, supply, communications, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that keep an army moving. And uh, so 7 to 10 support soldiers for every one infantry soldier. So, um 
I don't know, you know, those numbers vary, what those actually look like, um, the tooth-to-tail ratio of different insurgencies. But the, what I want to get at is the, rat, the most radical elements are elements that are actually individuals who are willing to commit violence on behalf of politics. Uh, they're, they're definitely in the minority, but they're surrounded by this massive support system. And so um, we look at black block tactics and some of these other um, you know, tactics that the writers and the media calls them agitators, but they're actually writers or political terrorists, if you will. Uh, you know, these these black bloc elements use a protest for cover. And so they say, look, you know, we don't want to get off on our own. We don't want to get isolated, which is exactly the last thing that a guerrilla wants to do is to become isolated from his support base, which in a counterinsurgency, that's exactly what we're trying to do. How do we isolate this guerrilla fighter from their support base, and so they use the uh, the protest for cover. You know, Mao famously said of guerrilla warfare, he says, "Look, guerrillas swim among the the population like fish swim among the sea." You know, we think about a fish. He gets, I mean, he receives 100% sustenance from from his environment, the water that that's around him, and so. Um, I mean, his food lives in the water. Everything he needs is there. And so, really, when we look at support for a guerrilla organization or an insurgent organization, that's kind of the exact same concept we're looking at. So, me as an intelligence analyst, I say, how do we first identify the the fish? How do we identify the water? And then how do we flip those fish out of the water so that they're no longer receiving sustenance? Uh, the other part, the third part, so there's the guerrillas, there's the auxiliary, and then there's also the underground. And the underground are involved in propaganda and sabotage um, and kind of the more uh, political functions of this insurgency. And so we look at the mainstream media and we look at, uh, you know, propagandizers and they're absolutely, they are the underground in this insurgent organization. And so really those are the three parts of this political insurgency. And so I really do think that if the political insurgency fails, if they don't meet their ends, then things will escalate to uh, a physical war fighting insurgency. Now let's look at, at Saturday in Berkeley, California. Of course, in, in February, there was a riot that prevented uh, Milo Yiannopoulos from speaking there. And that was, I mean, that was their grand slam. They shut down Milo, and so they've successfully taken these uh, these same kinds of tactics, and they shut down Gavin McInnes, and they've, um, you know, attacked professors to prevent um, a number of other libertarian, conservative, slash, you know, alt-right speakers to prevent them from speaking. And so, really... Saturday, they view it, I think they're looking at this as their Casey at bat moment because there are going to be alt-right figures there. There are going to be conservative, libertarian. Of course, everybody's a racist. If you're not a socialist, progressive, you're a racist regardless of, of the facts. Um, so this is, uh, of course, in that poem, Casey at bat, he strikes out. So, you know, that's ultimately the goal. But um, if they hit a grand slam, I, I think this is a, a, a watershed moment from them. Because here we have Gavin McInnes and Laura uh, Southern and um, um, Ann Coulter and a number of figures who are set to speak. And if they are prevented from speaking, then uh, that's I think that's going to put a lot of wind in their sails. You know, okay, if they are prevented from speaking, that phrase right there, um, what would prevent them? from speaking would be the lack of, in my view, anyway, the lack of intervention by the police. 
Is that a fair statement? Certainly. We're looking at something called the human terrain. Right. You know, are are those police officers, are they more, to, more likely to be ideologically left-leaning or ideologically right-leaning? And we look at the surrounding demographic in Berkeley, and, of course, it's not all 100% leftist, but it's mainly leftist. And maybe those police officers don't actually live in Berkeley, but that part of California is obviously extremely liberal. And so what you have is more than likely ideologically committed police officers who have looked the other way. You know, the police are still looking. This happened in February. Police are still looking for some of those riders. And so they shuffled their feet and they're, you know, slow about, uh, you know, getting out to stop these things and getting out in front of this riot. So uh, I would not be surprised if law enforcement there is actually uh, more sympathetic to to the rioters than to the speakers. Interesting. And I and I can see that. We, we saw that in February to some extent anyway. And it's amazing to me how a police officer, whether it's campus police or city police or state, or regardless, can stand back and watch property be destroyed, their own property be destroyed, right, as they're standing there watching. Um, all right, so, so let's pay, let's game this out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's say the the communist uh, numbskulls, the little Marxist, Marxist minions are out there, and, and they get their way, and they, they shut the, the event down. What's going to be the response? Or, or conversely, alternatively, the event goes off, and um, well, the event goes off. But let's the first scenario: what happens? Mm-hmm. Well, let's make a key assumption here. You know, in intelligence, we don't always have facts. We don't. It's it's actually more often than not that we we don't have hard facts that we know as as the gospel. So we make key assumptions and. We identify this as a key assumption. It could be wrong, so let's not, you know, let's not build this entire massive structure on this one key assumption unless we just have to. So let's make a key assumption that these officers have, they, they retain their discretion so they can choose who they want to arrest and who they don't want to. And I, you know, kind of as a secondary thought, you know, let's look at these police officers. Yes, they're individuals, but they're also employees. And so if they're receiving certain instructions from their police chief, then, you know, maybe their own personal ideology and feelings uh, are overridden by maybe wanting to keep their job and not getting fired. So if if they are, if the leftists are prevented from, I, you know, honestly, I don't know what this planning phase looks like. I don't know kind of from an operational or tactical level. I, I don't know what the Patriots Day rally is actually doing. I don't know what law enforcement's doing. Um, you know, we're going to get started on that if we battle track this on Saturday. Um, our startup is actually going to start on, on Friday night looking at, at this stuff. So, uh, let's make a key assumption that police don't stop the, uh, the rioters and that the leftists do show up with, with tear gas and a marching band and their little bongo drums that they beat everywhere and they can disrupt or entirely prevent the Patriot State rally from going on. Um, well, obviously, they're going to continue to disrupt future um, future sure. events. I think it's I think it's actually a very very good recruiting tool. You know, we look at the Islamic State, and every time CNN ran, you know, this ran some poor guy getting burned alive, or these people getting just dying these gruesome deaths. You know, these people, these the disaffected youth in the Middle East, have said, "Oh yeah, this is Islam. We can 
go have these harems and we can, you know, capture women and make them our sex slaves and we can kill the infidel in all these gruesome ways. And it was propaganda by deed. You know, it's this massive recruit, recruiting tool. And so I look at every time they, they successfully shut down a protest. I mean, you ought to see, you know, I, I read um, a lot of the leftist websites and it sure. reads like a, it reads like a North Korean press release. You know, they're like, Oh, our glorious fighters in the struggle with solidarity. You know, it's just, it's kind of communist 101 stuff. It would be laughable, except that it's absolutely serious. Interesting. All right. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and continue forward from here. Um, we talked about Saturday and we can continue that vein. And, uh, but you said something as well, you know, about the, uh, we tend to think about, or we tend to, give more credence to events that happened thousands of miles away rather than just uh, in our own backyard. So if you want to segue into that, we have about, uh, about 15 minutes left of the program. So, uh, how, however you want to, you want to slice the, the rest of the remaining portion of the program, just go ahead and take it. Sure. Well, we at Ford Observer, we really exist to keep an eye on national and strategic level reporting. I look at it this way. You know, I'm, I'm a prepper myself. I'm extremely concerned about the future. If I wasn't concerned, then I wouldn't be running Ford Observer. I assure you I'd be a fly fishing guide or, you know, living somewhere else by now. But um, So what we do is we keep an eye kind of on, on the top-level stuff. Would I recommend my students, you know, I teach intelligence courses, what I recommend readers to do every Friday I produce a, a, an intelligence report with this kind of top-level reporting tracking the trends, doing trend analysis trend analysis, and so forth. Um, so we're doing the top-level stuff. What I recommend, finally, I will tell you, what I recommend readers and students to do is look on the local level. That's something that I can't do for you, but that's something that you're uniquely suited to once you learn how intelligence works. And so uh, a big part of my podcasts and training classes um, and you know other things that we do go towards training individuals at a local level to team together, build a local intelligence element, and track threats. And it doesn't matter if that's you know gang activity or drug activity, cor- you know local corruption, anything that could pose a threat to you pre SHTF or post you know post disaster event. Let, event. Let's go ahead and and identify that stuff now so that we can understand more about how things work so that we can be better prepared and have much greater situational awareness after the event or during the emergency. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Americans are going to get caught with their pants down because, you know, they they know the, the blast radius of a Moab, but they don't know how many gang members live in the projects, you know, a couple miles from where they live. And really, that's the fight. You know, there's this, you know, what is it, think, think globally, act locally, or whatever they say. You know, well, that's kind of the same thing with us in intelligence. You know, if if we don't secure our communities, then we're going to be living in, in constant fear. You know, another important you know part about um, small small wars or, or um, um, small conflicts is we have to have a support base. And if we're not out uh, meeting our neighbors and networking and kind of building, you know, you know more more preppers. Traditional preppers would, would look at that and say, oh, this is my prepper team. Well, I look at that and say, this is my intelligence team. Every neighbor, whether he's in your prepper group or not, every, um, old lady, every, you know, young kid, they, they have eyes and ears and they're constantly collecting information. As an intel guy, I say, if they live in my neighborhood and 
and they see something suspicious, they observe suspicious behavior or gang activity or any kind of potential threat, and they're not telling me that I'm not doing my job as an intel guy. And so really, Ford Observer, part of our mission is to create local intel guys who are ideologically, you know, conservative or constitutionalist or, you know, whatever, libertarian, whatever you may be. I think we're all basically pushing in the same direction. And so, you know, like Chris Martinson was saying, it's a matter of time before this stuff happens. How bad things are going to get is still a large question mark. But I don't want to trade one tyranny for another. You know, I don't want to say, well, you know, America as a nation went belly up and, and now I live in an even worse place because my local government sucks or my state government sucks and my community sucks and uh, it's just a matter of time before I'm going to be starved or killed for my starved or killed for my stuff and really so the solution to that problem begins at a local level you know we can do a great many things to become more aware of our surroundings one of the things I teach is battle tracking as a matter of fact on Saturday we may be battle tracking the Berkeley um, Berkeley riots of 2017 of April 2017 you know in the schoolhouse, when I was uh, going through the schoolhouse in 2004, you know, we trained to track Soviet, uh, basically a war with the, with the Soviets. Of course, it was 2004, it's post-Soviet, but at that time, the Russian military was still very close. They had not had the series of reforms that they've had since then. And so we're, we're looking at a map, analyzing, okay, well, where are the Soviets going to put their, um, you know, their BMP-3, their mechanized, infantry fighting vehicles and where are they going to put uh, this self-propelled artillery unit and so really I've taken this very conventional military aspect and converted it into a more community centric aspect where instead of looking for for military vehicles and military operations we're looking at, at gangs or we're looking at uh, Bernie supporters or Hillary supporters we're understanding what's called the human terrain uh, really we're, we're kind of getting on the, the ground floor of our community Identifying the strengths and the weaknesses, identifying potential threats, uh, prioritizing these threats, um, doing what we call a course of a, a course of action. So, if you do have a gang or you do have some leftist uh, group, you know what are they going to do in the future? What's their what are their potential courses of action? Ultimately, intelligence reduces uncertainty, and the more we know about our area, the more certain that we can become about what our community is going to look like during this event. And it doesn't matter if it's a civil war or economic collapse or an EMP from the North Koreans. If we can't project, if we don't understand what our community is going to look like in the future, then we're way behind the curve. And that all starts locally. So, yeah, uh, as as much as understanding kind of these strategic events or strategic trends is important, the real fight for us is locally. I recommend 60-30-10. 60 percent of our time really should be focused on the local area 30 percent on the what we call the operational level which would be your county or your state and then finally uh, 10 percent would be national or strategic we try to take at Ford observer we try to take care of that 10 percent for you by explaining you know putting these events in context explaining uh, the implications and how these events are going to affect the future we try to take care of that 10 percent so that you can basically redouble that time back locally. All very, uh, very good, uh, points, especially, um, you know, we can't say enough about the community aspect, uh, having, knowing your neighbors, knowing the people around you, um, you know, you can't put a, a, a value or a price on that because, uh, when it's needed and when you're in times of distress, 
you know, that, that could be priceless, um, you know, having those connections and, and knowing, you know, who's supposed to be around you and, and who's not supposed to be around you, uh, which is a, a very big thing. If we can kind of switch gears here in the last eight minutes, um, mm-hmm. reading, uh, some of what you sent us earlier this week that you wanted to get into, um, I was, you, uh, point five, you're talking about the NSA and how that the mm-hmm. NSA is endangering, uh, American national security. But you also uh, added a point in here about the federal cyber budget. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with that? Um, and, and you say that it's 90% offensive, uh, rather than, you know, uh, protecting against cyber attacks. 90% of our cyber budget is actually, um, you know, it, Going after and being you know, on the offense here, uh, hacking and whatever else that entails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, uh, we all like we all like our toys. You know, we have our favorite rifle, we have our a motorcycle or a monster truck or you know whatever you're into. Uh, well, NSA and the intelligence community is no different. You know, they like these. They like to go and exploit people. Exploit people. Exploit. Uh, Infrastructure exploit, uh, you know, cyber infrastructure in order to gain intelligence information. And we make decisions. We don't make decisions based off information. We make decisions based on intelligence. Well, NSA says, okay, well, what do we need to make intelligence? Well, we need information. Okay, well, let's just go out and get as much information as we can. I mean, let, let's suck up every text message, every phone call, every IP address, every everything. Uh, and just put it in a database somewhere. And we may not need it today. We may not need it for 15 years, but you know what? Eventually we're going to need it and we're going to have it. Well, I look at that and say, that's quite a lot of data you have there, gentlemen. And so, uh, as an analyst, you know, information, intelligence doesn't produce itself. Information needs to come across my desk so I can look at it and say, this is the proper context. This is what this means. Oh yeah, and then last week I read this report. Okay, well let's put this together. And six months ago this happened. And so, oh wow, all of a sudden I've synthesized all this information and I start to create intelligence. This is, you know, these three events. The next, this is the next event, or this is what the next event's going to look like. Something actionable or predictive. Well, the analyst is the bottleneck in this whole process. And so, um, you know, Rand Paul has has been a big proponent of more targeted collection and zero mass collection. And I actually agree with them. It's counterintuitive, but the more, the bigger this haystack we have, the more we have to search in, in order to find the pin or to find the needle rather. And so I say, look, let's, let's carve off a, a sizable chunk of this haystack to make those, those needles much easier to find. Um, as far as the cyber budget is concerned, yeah, Reuters broke a, a week or two ago that 90% of the federal cybersecurity budget goes towards offensive operations. Well, what that means is uh, we're not focusing on defending our own our own network. Yeah, we have defense, uh, but you know, I mean, it's like every week there's some massive intrusion or some massive data leak or some massive uh, cyber um, exploitation or cyber espionage event. And so I say, um, oh yeah. And then another thing, um, the uh, the CIA leaks and NSA leaks previous to this uh, actually point out that that these organizations had found vulnerabilities in firewalls and other, you know, yeah, uh, software. The, the Vault 7, WikiLeaks Vault 7. Yeah, Vault 7. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. Yeah. And so what, what we know is that they found these vulnerabilities in U.S. critical infrastructure and in our cyber infrastructure. And instead of alerting Cisco or some of the other companies to say, hey, you have a vulnerability that can be used by a nation state or a criminal hacking group, 
patch this up, they say, oh, wait, no, no, that's that's in use in Russia right now. So, okay, let's use that. That's another point of attack for us. That just increases our attack surface for them. And so, um, you know, that's exactly what they're doing is they're sitting on these massive number of exploits that are, quite frankly, more than likely being used to attack U.S. infrastructure instead of patching these things up. And so uh, I I absolutely do think NSA is um, – I mean, they, they just they get caught up in the, these massive budgets and trying to grow their budgets and trying to to do more. And I, I think they're, you know, they're honestly their charter should be more towards protecting the U.S. because all of a sudden we're now in this kind of brave new world where anybody anybody with a, a laptop and an, a, an internet connection can launch a cyber attack now. And so, um, absolutely, I would scale back some of the collection um, and and really kind of fo- refocus on defending. Uh, the United States. You know, the the next war we get into with Russia or China, North Korea, Iran, those are the big four. You know, they all have active cyber programs. And so I think the likelihood is extremely high that the next large conflict we get into, that we are going to have cyber attacks on um, on critical infrastructure here at home. And so a war that's, that's you know, five-plus thousand miles, 8,000 miles away, all of a sudden is going to be brought to your doorstep when your lights go out or your internet goes out or, you know, any number of things that could happen through a, a cyber attack. Um, and quite frankly, that's, that's kind of a scary prospect, um, because, uh, it's, you know, because of the second and third order consequences. What happens when Chicago or Dallas or New York or LA gets shut down and, uh, you know, there's, you know, potentially, you know, the, the chaos, the, the, uh, mm-hmm. doomsday preppers have been, you know, preparing for this whole time. So, so the point that I'm getting at is that we're extreme, we're still extremely vulnerable. Our government's not doing enough. You know, we talk about the social contract, right? We give up some of our rights. We give up some of our things to government so that they take care of us. Well, I'm not saying that I'm a huge fan of the concept of the, the social contract, but the gov- the federal government is not upholding their end of the social contract. And so I think that's one large reason why I'm extremely Uncertain and extremely concerned about the future because we know when that happens, nothing good happens after that. Samuel, you're taking us to the end of our our, our broadcast, uh, folks. Samuel Culper is our is our guest. Readfomag.com. Readfomag.com is the website, and uh, I want to thank you so much. Great, uh, it's great for coming on and uh, definitely uh, taking anything away from this interview. One. Uh, gotta pay attention this weekend to Berkeley, California. Um, and, and make sure you, you visit Samuel's site and you said you'll be covering this, uh, event and, uh. That's correct. Okay. And, and um, again, Ann Coulter is gonna be speaking at Berkeley, the same place where Milo Yiannopoulos went to speak and, and the riots broke out, uh, just a, uh, what, a few months ago, uh, now. So we'll see mm-hmm. if, uh, what happens there, if, if we have riots, if we have a, um, you know them stopping uh, these people from being able to to speak, and I think it's um, it'll be a, a a good bellwether to see where, if at all, our country has moved in the last few months from where we were. Which I don't think uh, I think the opposition to Trump has just increased, and the money that Soros pours into these groups will continue to keep them uh, violent and on their toes. So you certainly have added to the discussion, Mr. Culper. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank wow. you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. It's always a pleasure. All right. We look forward to having you on again. Thank you. That'll do it for us tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe, God bless, and have a great evening. We are out.